Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is called... Get ready for this one. It is called A Dose... Nostalgic? A Dose of Nostalgia. And that's nes because we're talking about the classic edition of the of the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, Layer and Shard, full impressions of you these. Mean you mean still... I got one, like, within days of it coming out, but it's still nearly impossible to buy. But I have one. I'm going to tell you why you need one, or don't, depending on your opinion, or your, my opinion, you and think your you take persuade, of my you opinion. you could persuade me? No. But I'm not trying to. Well, I'm curious. We'll see. Like, like, was it, like is it so good that you're like, Angel needs to have this? It's I know great. he doesn't want one, but I'm pretty sure I could... Give him some points that might change his mind. I don't know. Potentially. We'll see when we get to that part of the show. Yes, we will. We will. And besides that, there's a lot of news to discuss. As uh, I feel like... Really? I feel like since our last episode, Nintendo's been all over the place, physically. Here in LA, they were on hand at the Game Awards, which we were also attending, or I was attending. You skipped it this year. Um, and they brought a Zelda trailer with them there. And then less than a week later, well, they're I mean, I over... still attended from the comfort of That's my true. home. That's true. I attended from the comfort of the Microsoft Theater. And then uh, less than a week later, they're over in New York on The Tonight Show showing off Mario Run and the first public appearance of the Switch. So we're going to be talking about all that because there's a lot to say and think about that. Plus hands-on impressions of Mario Run, plus Switch rumors, plus the winner of our $50 eShop giveaway that we had last episode. So that'll be at the end of this episode. So yeah, use those timestamps at ramtown.com on the blog post for this episode so you don't miss anything or you can jump to the parts that interest you. But with that said... Let's talk Tonight Show. All right. Uh, so people be like, well, The Tonight Show. Well, I mean, I normally... The Tonight Show is an institution. I normally never watch Jimmy Fallon, yeah. so, I mean, I well, still didn't he, even watch this one. I mean, I watched a nine-minute clip that was posted later, Yeah. But. Here, you know that feeling... So I watched it when they posted it, too. They actually posted it before it even finished airing on the East Coast, but you know that feeling when, like, your favorite team in sports pulls off, like, the surprise victory? No. <laughs> That's true. Neither do I on sports. You know that feeling when your favorite eSport person pulls off a surprise victory. Yeah. All right. That's kind of what Wednesday night felt like to me with this, like, Nintendo thing on The Tonight Show. Because it went, like, first there was the Mario Run demo. And I was like, oh, surprise, here's Shigeru Miyamoto. And then there's the surprise of the Switch, which Jimmy Fallon was giddy about. And then it's like, oh, Zelda, running on the Switch, first time anywhere. Then Miyamoto was playing the Mario theme with the Roots, which was just cool. Then on top of that, there's the Avalanche of Mario press coverage, Mario Run press coverage. And then on the t- on top of that, there's that super well-done live-action Mario Run commercial, all in the span of about 10 to 15 minutes at like 11 o'clock on a Wednesday with no rhyme or reason or warning. It's one of those things that are just like, this is cool. Like, this is like everyone was focusing on that. It's like one of those moments where you're just like, this is... As a bit of a fanboy, this is neat. This is this is like a, the little surprise victory for Nintendo, and it came out of nowhere. So that was that was like my gut feeling from. I don't know, what did you think of the whole thing? Like you watched it. What, what was your take on not just what they showed, but how they showed it, like with Fallon and everything? Oh, I don't know. That, that, that kind of felt like a loaded question, just because I'm not that big of a fan of Fallon. I feel like I don't know. All, all his, it was a loaded question. I knew your answer already. <laughs> all, all his happiness and goodness just seems very fabricated to me. Like every anything he does just seems very faked. So normally, yes, it's it's fine because like I've been watching Fallon since his early SNL days, like early two thousands, I guess. And yes, he gets excited and giddy about things, and it's often a very thin line between him being legitimately excited and giddy and him faking it, and he fakes it more often than doesn't. But I feel like he legitimately was into this one. And I say that for a few reasons. I mean, I mean I'm sure it's 
a little biased because as I said like I'm not that big of well I'm not that big of a fan of talk show host, right. talk shows in general right but um the only thing I guess I got from it was like well the switch looks really thin I guess yeah it's so thin yeah yeah that's pretty much but that. but I feel like going back to the sound for a sec because you're not the only one that's like oh he's faking it he often does but like every, like the first feedback from that everyone's like oh it was great but Fallon was like he kept it he kept ruining it he kind of did but I mean it seemed like his gen- genuine giddiness because like. He kept interrupting Reggie with Reggie's own talking points, which was kind of funny. And then, like, his hands were literally shaking when he was holding the Switch. You could see his thumb shaking when he was holding it. And he went off script at one point to his whole speech to Miyamoto about how Miyamoto made Zelda, as if he doesn't know. And Miyamoto's just like, ha ha, yeah, you got it. Like, he had that look on his face, like, yes. And then, like, he, of course, was geeking out about Zelda. But then on top of that, I don't know if you saw what came out after, but he went to a basketball game later that night. After the oh, yeah, I saw that gif. Yeah. Yeah, there's a gif of him gesturing wildly to show how the Switch works to his seatmate. But what most people didn't notice in the gif, he is wearing Miyamoto's security clearance badge that got him into 30 Rock for the taping. Jimmy Fallon, to a public sporting event, hours after the taping, was like, you know what, this is such a cool moment for me, I'm going to wear the fact that Miyamoto was on my show. That makes me think it was genuine. That makes me think he's legitimately excited about this stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, that whole gift definitely looked really genuine. Yeah, that would he yeah. go out of his way to explain the switch to some guy? To that, that guy that looked not at all interested. <laughs> I mean, maybe for all we know, that guy is important and should know what the switch is like. Who knows? But I don't know. but but regardless of like Fallon himself, like, well, actually, I take that back. The, Fallon's hype made it kind of infectious. Like the crowd was super into it. But I mean, I think it's cool that like it yeah. was shown there, and it definitely yeah, it was essentially ten free minutes of advertising for Nintendo. Yeah. In the middle of the number I mean, one late night show in America. Yeah, I mean, um, I literally got a call from someone that told me if I had seen it, and that now I think that was the first time I was really looking at the Switch. Yeah, they somehow didn't see that trailer, and they were like, "Oh, that looks so cool! Like, I want to get one now." So, I mean, it worked. It, yeah, I mean, it does its job. The video I checked it um, the, like Friday night, and the video was at over three million views. Well, the the clip on YouTube. So, like this this is working, and what's crazy is like Nintendo's never done something quite like we this. We can't even break a thousand with ours. We're getting very close. Very, very close. Oh, I was talking about the videos. Oh. Wait. What? Were you? Are we that close to 1,000? No, no. 1,000 listeners? Oh, no. I'm talking about the videos that we... The few we posted on YouTube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, we're at like 20. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, what I was going to say Yeah, you is, had me shocked there for a bit. No, 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 no. But uh, what I was going to say is Nintendo's never done this before. They've never been on national TV like this with a system this Didn't early. They did with the Wii U? They did, but they never did it like this where they're like, here's the system, tune in on January 12th to our YouTube channel or whatever and you can watch the presentation and learn more. Like, that was new. <laughs> and, well, and and that presentation, by the way, is a big deal. So, uh, we're going to get an onslaught of Nintendo stuff on January 12th because not only do they have the one in Japan we know about, there's a press event in New York, there's a press event in Paris, and there's a press event in Australia all within about 36 hours of each other. So, it's going to be a full-on onslaught in January Oh. Just, just saying, but but more than just the hype, at least in my opinion, I feel like what Nintendo did on Fallon actually was kind of like the total embodiment of what modern day Nintendo is all about. Like it's a one eighty kind of addressing the Wii thing you're saying. It's a one eighty flip on how they used to approach their marketing and what they're marketing and what they're actually trying to sell you, which is the same as marketing. I now realize, like it's this flip on how they usually approach things. Like first, if you look at what Nintendo was pitching, it wasn't hardware per se. It was the familiar faces of Mario and Link. They kept saying, here's Mario, here's Zelda, here's Mario, here's Zelda. Like, it was their, it was all their IPs, it was their intellectual properties, which are their main focus now. Their corporate strategy is literally 
spread their IPs far and wide, as far and wide as they can. There's games, there's licensing deals like the Van Shoes. There's the Universal Theme Park deal, which they just announced. Japan, Florida, and Hollywood will all be getting one at their park, the Nintendo Land equivalent. So it's that. So like the Mario Run side of things in the presentation, it wasn't just an iPhone game they were showing. It was a full-on Mario takeover they did. Like, it was this cultural force known as Mario who's now accessible to you on your smartphone that you carry in your pocket all the time. It wasn't just here's in town making an iPhone game. Like, they had the game. They then had Miyamoto there to emphasize, look, it's Mario. Here's the guy that made Mario. Then they had Miyamoto go play with the roots, the Mario theme, because they're like, look, you know that nostalgic tune. Now you're going to check out this game because that brought back all those good memories. Like, it was this whole Mario thing. It wasn't just like, here's the game. And then if you go to the Switch side of things, it was not hardware first. So you made the point about the Wii U on late, on, when they showed it on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, right? Well, when they did that, I went back and rewatched it. They showed Nintendo Land, but what they were showing was the hardware. What they were pitching was, look at this controller, look at the asynchronous gameplay you can do. Look at how like, oh yeah, it, it kind of looks like Zelda, but more of the point, you can be, Jimmy, you can be over here on the gamepad and us four are over here on the controller doing something totally different. It's all about the the whatever the hook was and the input level, like the controller hook, the, the Wii hook, the DS hook, that sort of thing. This time around, they jumped into Zelda and they talked about Zelda. They talked about what the gameplay was like. They talked about, it's everything you know about Zelda, but better. It's everything you love about Zelda, but better. You see that you, mountain over there? You can walk to that. And you can like play you, however you want. You, you can play can, however you want. You can drop then, that boulder or go exactly. down there and take him out yourself. And then go one step further with that exact thing you said it wasn't look at what the switch can do that's new for gaming it was look how you can continue to do what you want to do with zelda anywhere you want to knock over that boulder on the bus you can you want to knock over that boulder on your tv you can because the game that this franchise you care about is on or i mean the, the system that this franchise you care about is on happens to be this thing that's interchangeable called the switch it wasn't the switch does this thing now look at how it does it it was this game uses the system that does this thing it's not the most like it's kind of it's like a it's not the most obvious thing because they're still pitching the concept, but the fact that they did character first or franchise first, hardware second, is a new tack for Nintendo. And like Fallon kept interrupting Reggie and rallying off specs and features and stuff, which is kind of the old approach. But if you look at just what Reggie was saying during his parts, like the only things he was saying, it matches up with what modern day Nintendo is all about. Like I said, it perfectly is this like new IP first strategy. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You could also kind of see that the strategy shift is happening with like the hardware Nintendo brought. They had a casual on-the-go gaming system, and they had a console. Casual on-the-go gaming system, not a 3DS like you would normally expect. It was an iPhone. The console, not tethered to your TV. It was a Switch. What they were pitching was not console handheld. What they were pitching is this new economy they have of bite size and like full course. You got the bite-sized Mario Run, you got the little thing you could play on the go, whatever, do it where you want, but it's quick, it's easy, you just jump in, it's one-handed, it's one-finger press, whatever, and then you've got the meteor experience of Zelda, and you can do it on the go, you can do it on your home TV, but the point is, look at this thing that runs the meteor Zelda. So, it's it's definitely a new Nintendo, like, five years ago, this is not all how any of this would have been done. So, I thought that was interesting. I probably read way too much into a nine-minute appearance with Reggie and Miyamoto on a late-night talk show, but nonetheless, I think it really does embody what Nintendo is about in 2016, 2017, and going forward, versus what they were, let's say, 2011 till now. So, that's my little two cents on that. With that said, 
how about those games Nintendo actually showed? Mario Run was the first one. Um, comes out this Thursday, December 15th. And the demo Reggie did with Jimmy Fallon, uh, it didn't show anything new. But what they did say during the demo was that the following day at Apple stores around the world, you could go demo Mario Run. So, because I'm a diligent Nintendo fan, I convinced all my coworkers to that that day for lunch, the next day for lunch, we should all go eat over in this one area near the Apple stores. And then when we got over there, I'd be like, you know what the Apple store has? They have Mario Run. We should go check it out. And then sure enough, we trekked over and checked out Mario Run. So I might have manipulated some people, but it worked. And I got to play Mario Run. You did, Have you tried it? No. You're just going to wait till Thursday? Yeah, I mean... I'm definitely looking forward to it, but it doesn't seem like a game I need to try out beforehand. I'm pretty sure... It's it's not entirely. It's interesting. Like, the demo... So the demo you can play is only... uh, It's three levels long, and then the castle trial. The castle trial is... You get 20 seconds to get as far as you can, that's it. So it's almost like a Toad Rally preview. Um, If I'm not mistaken, actually, those are the exact three levels that you'll be able to play before you have to pay the 10 bucks. The levels in the castle run, so... But, uh... You would think it would be pretty like, oh yeah, it's exactly what you expect. It actually took me a minute when I picked up the game to get the hang of the rhythm of the jumps. Because yes, all you do is press Mario, press the bomb part of Mario jumps, but the longer you press, it turns how far you jump. And initially, I was treating it like a normal Nintendo controller, so I was doing really quick taps, and he was doing really tiny jumps and kept like missing gaps. And I was like, wait, what is going on? And I realized, ah, press and hold. Like That's it felt a Mario game there though. It felt different. I don't know. Maybe there's like a timing thing, but it took me about ten seconds. I mean, to be like, wait a minute. I mean, I'll give you that. Um. I guess when you play like New Super Mario Brothers 2, Mario Brothers 3, and I'm not talking about Nintendo, I mean Mario Maker, where yeah. they all feel exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, you mean like, actual different. Yeah, like each Mario 2D platformer feels way different from the last. Like yeah. the jumping mechanics are the, just the way different. The physics of this are different. So I could definitely see if, like, if you had trouble just adjusting to the physics. Uh, yeah, the new physics, but. So maybe it wasn't a press and yeah. hold thing, maybe it was a physics thing. No, yeah, but but I definitely most... was not holding no, yeah, as I'll... much as I thought I would be. Yeah, but, but every game, yeah, it's definitely a hold. That's true. And let go. Yeah, it must have been the physics. But either way, it took me like a min- a couple seconds, like 10, 20, 30 seconds to get into it. But once I got into the swing of it, it, it made a lot of sense and it felt good. It just was like, wait, this is a little jarring. But the the thing that's kind of interesting is um, there's more of the there's even more of the jumping than just the jumping. Like if you – when Mario's vaulting or going over one of the low Goombas or, or shorter enemies automatically, he does that auto jump. If you press the jump right when he's doing that, he actually vaults him higher. Like he does like a whole vault jump thing. So there's that, and then there's air spins. You know, if you d- jump one in the air, like in New Super Mario Brothers, you can do the air spin in this too, so that's a whole other thing. And then there's all the action blocks where, um, you know, it'll send you forward, it'll lunge you forward, it'll shoot you backwards, occasionally it'll even stop you until you press it again, and then you'll go. Like, the whole experience was weird in that it felt like there was more than I expected, but also still felt like less than what it should be, or less than I expected. Like, it, it really depends on how you go in. Like, if you go in with there is more than running. So if you go in with zero expectations, you'll be pleased by the fact that there are always different blocks and different things, and there's different types of jumps you can do, and there's different depths of jumps or heights of jumps. But at the same time, there's definitely less than a typical Mario game, at least in these early three and a half stages I did. So there is that kind of... It's Mario, but it's not Mario. It looks like Mario, but it doesn't quite feel like Mario, but it also kind of feels like Mario because it is Mario. Like, it, it's weird. It's hard. You it, There's definitely a bit of a moment where you have to kind of grow accustomed to it but that said it really did feel like the demo why well, playing the demo is like laying this ground this gameplay groundwork for some much more interesting stuff that i assume is later in the game once you're past the paywall like i noticed that when playing the demo there's a lot bigger emphasis on branching paths 
it's almost kind of like the old 2D Sonic games. Not in the length of the past, but the way it plays with verticality a bit, which makes sense because it's on iPhone and everything's more vertical. But you'll branch, and it's only like, oh, go over these two platforms or go under these two platforms. Go up over these five blocks or go down under these three blocks or take the middle route. Like It's like these constant little forks, which isn't super uncommon for Mario, but they seem to play a much bigger role in Mario Run, at least in demo, because again, the verticality, they have the space to work with. So you could do any which way, but depending on what you do, there's of course always the special coin to collect if you take one of the more difficult routes or you have to do more elaborate jumping or whatever. So, so do you have the magenta coins and the giant coins on the same level, or is it so just... So there are no giant coins I saw in the demo. What mm. I saw were pink coins, and how it works in the final game is you can collect five pink coins per stage, and when you do that, then five purple coins are placed elsewhere on the stage. And if you can collect those five challenge coins, then you get a third level of challenge, which are black coins, and they go back to level and you find the five black coins, mm-hmm. which are even more difficult to reach. So essentially you have a 24-level game that actually has the equivalent of 72 different challenges just spread across these same 24 levels. So that adds some replayability it is because you're auto running, and yeah, you can make Mario go backwards if you hit the right blocks and stuff. But because you're auto so running, if you screw up, you will go back and play it again. So there's definitely more replayability than a typical Mario. Yeah, and that means you're pretty much playing each level at the exact same pace. So you can't exactly like, oh, once you know where everything is, you can't hold like a run button. And yeah, you know what's funny is the whole reason they made this, they claim, was they uh, were watching speedrunners play, or like not just speedrunners, but like professional Mario players, so to speak, on like YouTube and stuff, and they saw that they always held the D-pad. And they're like, what if we made a game where you just don't need to hold the D-pad and he just runs? And then they were toy- they were prototyping it. Mimo was saying this in an interview with uh, so for Time so, and So were they trying it with like a full speed run in the beginning? Well, I don't, I don't know. Because it definitely looks more like a trot. It's more of a trot. It's not a full speed run. But that, that's where they got the idea of what if we don't hold the D-pad. And then from there, they tried. They actually prototyped it on, the, on either the Wii or the 3DS at one point. And only did it come to fruition with uh, the iPhone. Which is typical Nintendo. They have an idea and they keep leaving it on the back burner until it makes sense. You know, like uh, Amiibo, e-reader cards becoming Amiibo. Or virtual or 3D, Virtual Boy becoming 3DS. Or Link Cables becoming whatever they are now. Or becoming the two-screen set of like the Wii U. It's like it all... Or not Link Cables, uh, GameCube, Game Boy, Link becoming basically the Wii U. Mm. So so yeah, this it's nothing new for them. But yeah, it's it's... It is a clever way to add replayability. Like, I did go back and play levels multiple times. No, I could get that pink coin. I know I can, so I'd go back and do it again. It's not that hard. The three I did were pretty easy. They're saying... It's... Miyamoto made this weird comment to Time where it's like, it's about gameplay creativity. Like, there's 72 coins, and you can unlock three different characters. You can play as Luigi with his, flu- with his like, hover jump. You can play as Yoshi with his flutter jump. You can play as Toad with... I don't know what Toad has. An adorable <laughs> vest. I, I have no idea what his ability is. But you can do those, and then you can still get any of the coins with any of the characters, but how you go about doing it will change with each character. So in that regard, this whole setup, kind of, based on three and a half levels, kind of reminds me of uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn, or Yoshi's Woolly World. Where, like, on the surface, it's a really easy experience for everyone to get into and do. Like, there's no actual, like, there's no, like, hurdle to overcome. But if you're the experienced player, the guy who holds the D-pad all the time, going for the coins is going to offer the challenge. But then, of course, the downside, much like Yoshi's Woolly World and Curry's Epic Yarn, this is why I fear come Thursday, is it will still be too easy. Like, if you're going for the coin challenges, you'll have those few moments when those are difficult, but the rest is going to be a breeze. So that's my one concern from the demo, is 
perhaps the whole thing will be too easy. But then again, it's just a demo of three and a half levels, so maybe it does ramp up appropriately. Oh. It's hard to say. It's a lot based on three and a half levels, I know, but... Yeah, but I mean, you might still be right. I mean, even, like, Obosanai 100%, pretty much every Mario platformer that has come out, Yeah. even the Donkey Kong Country Returns games, and for the most part, while the Donkey... I think the Donkey Kong ones are the only ones that we could say that didn't felt too easy, but mm-hmm. so far, every Mario game has felt too easy. Even, like, they have, like, maybe one or two really hard levels, but overall, didn't, I don't think I can call any Mario game hard. Yeah. So, but this I, is like even so by Mario how, standards, it seems. Well, that well, that's it. Like, and I don't see how this one can be any different, especially because it's designed for like yeah. a, the most casual audience you can imagine. Yeah. But on the flip side, the coin challenges—they never have done like three tiers of them. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming black coins or purple coins are going to be like actually you're really going to need a master. Um, but again, you were saying before, it's like you just figure out the level structure. And yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to come down mem- to memorization. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the only aspect that I could see becoming really difficult is if you are playing against someone mm-hmm. and then you're just trying to beat their record. And then obviously there's going to be a point where you're just neck and neck and just becomes really hard to find some way well, to pass them. Well, here's the tricky thing with Toad Rally is I don't even know if it saves for multiple tries. Oh, well, I mean, if you're just going back and forth somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Toad Rally actually sounds really cool. Oh, and, and uh, like I like the idea of like the asynchronous Mario multiplayer. That's neat. Or not asynchronous. A, uh, yeah, asynchronous. Where, yeah. Where I meant asymmetric when I was talking about the Wii U before, not asynchronous. Silly me. But uh, there was one other thing that I realized when you were talking. I um, should probably mention this. So the characters, to unlock them, I mentioned they are there. And now we know where Kingdom Builder really comes in. Because Kingdom Builder is how you get Luigi and Yoshi. Uh, Toad is going to be playable as a My Nintendo exclusive. I don't understand what that means, considering I think everyone needs a My Nintendo account in order to do the multiplayer. So I guess everyone gets Toad. But... Um, yeah, so we've talked about... No before. Peach. What? What? Oh, Peach is kidnapped them? No Peach. Hmm. No Peach, which is weird because her asset exists. Well, you're rescuing Peach. Bowser kidnaps Peach and you have to rescue her. So who's he kidnapping if Peach is, kid- is playable? I don't know. It's a weird hmm. oversight, especially in the gender-neutral the Nintendo we're in now. But I mean, that's how they got around. could be Daisy. I mean, that's how they got around there with the Spritzies. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But, but Kingdom Builder, I want to touch on real quick. Um, we discussed before on the show that kingdom builders that weird little thing where like you customize a tiny a kind of like tiny mini mushroom kingdom with houses and items and then you populate with toads from toad rally based on high performance toad rally they live there and the more toads you have the more you can get turns out everything is a little more connected than we thought because the character unlocks like i said come from that too so what you build and how you build it will influence which characters you get like I think there's also special coins. I think some of the challenge coins you get in World Tour, the single-player mode, also unlock things. But the point is, in Kingdom Builder, you get Toad Houses. These Toad Houses have bonus games and challenges, and some of those, be it their own standalone houses or you have to do something for it first, is how you get Luigi and Yoshi specifically. They will unlock through this. So you can't just be like, I'm just going to play single-player and I'm never going to touch Kingdom Builder. You're going to need to start plopping stuff down in your kingdom in order to get the characters, which is not how they've usually done this in mario so it, it's kind of interesting it's like it's almost like kingdom builders like the glue that holds together every other part of mario run be it world tour or toad ride because everything sort comes back into that middle piece and in that same time interview actually miyamoto made a point of saying the whole reason kingdom builder exists is they want you you be able to track your accomplishments throughout the game normally in mario you just get to the next level but if you're going back and revisiting levels three times over for challenges if you have the uh the toad rallies they need some other way to sort of be like, here's what you've done, here's what you've unlocked. We're making you replay things a lot, potentially. So here's how we show you it was worth it. Also, 
the other reason there's Kingdom Builder, I find this funny because they never reference other games for inspiration. Miyamoto was obsessed with that Japanese cat game. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Neko, uh, Neko at uh, Atsum or whatever it's called. The game where you collect a bunch of cats. Oh, that one. He, yeah. Miyamoto, said Kingdom Builder was inspired by his obsession with that. That's one of the very, very few times, if not only times, that Nintendo has outright been like, this game inspired us. So props to the cat people. Yeah, you gotta shout that out. game being referenced on Twitter a few times. Yeah, yeah. So that that is why we have Kingdom Builder. But uh, so yeah, I think overall Mario Run sounds pretty great. It sounds fun. Like you're still looking forward to it, right? Yeah. But there's one small itty bitty problem. You cannot play it offline at all. You need a constant internet connection through Wi-Fi, through your phone's data plan, wherever it may be in order to play. That means no playing on an airplane unless you play for the in-flight Wi-Fi. That means no playing for people who commute, say, by subway, which is funny in some cities that don't have like wi- that don't have cell service in the subway, which is funny because when they showed off Mario Run at the Apple event back in September, they made a whole point you could play it on your commute. No, you can't if you don't have wireless service. Um, Miyamo said to Mashable that the reason they're doing that is anti-piracy. If they're constantly connecting, they can ping the server and they can say this is a legit copy this serial number is legit this serial number has already been used we're not going to let them play for me personally like 95% of my playtime this is a non-issue but that other 5% like I was planning to play this on a plane ride to Vegas on Friday like the day after it came out I guess I can't now good and thing you have Pokemon I'm not going to bring my 3DS really? for a 40 minute flight? it's more than I would expect you to play in one session no I usually try and do like an hour at a time anyway practically an hour it's, it's 20 minutes less. It's actually two-thirds of an hour if you want to get technical. But anyway, I, I mean, my 5%, like, oh, I can't play it on a plane to Vegas for one weekend, is someone else's 95%. Like, they're constantly traveling or something. So it kind of sucks that they can't now play Mario Run how they want. Like, I get the pri- the piracy concern. It's very easy to get an app on jailbroken iPhone without paying. Like, very, very easy. But I feel like there are better ways Nintendo could have done this. They could do they could do like a quick ping when you start up the game, and then you know so you could start it up as the planes take before the plane takes off, then put it in airplane mode and just keep it running. That should that could be an option. Or you know, Nintendo could bite the bullet a bit. There's only 24 levels in single player World Tour. Toad Rally and Kingdom Builder make up a large part of the game as well, and those have to be connected online because one is multiplayer and the other is based on what you do in multiplayer. So why don't they just say, okay, whatever, you can play single-player offline, we'll bite the bullet on losing that potential sale, but we'll make it back when people try multiplayer. That seems like... I mean, granted, they would make less money, but I don't think it's like night and day, because people are still going to pirate this thing. They will find workarounds, so they're just inconveniencing us, the poor supporters. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. The legit I mean, does that does that affect you in any way like i mean because i guess you always do have a connection unless you're traveling no it doesn't affect me so you'd be but so you'd be cool like if you're on airplane just not being able to play yeah i have a 3ds yeah all right i mean that's that's a fair that's what it's for yeah i guess lucky for nintendo uh there's more of you than there's more of me in the sense of like i don't i don't anticipate this hurting sales in a meaningful way like i know it's bad i know i don't like it but fact of matter is not to mention um I mean, when when we start getting into these kind of commute things, um, I mean, this is definitely just me personally, but yeah. like a game like Mario Run is a game I would only really play like if I'm in line for something or if I'm just trying to kill some time. But if I'm 
sitting down for anything more than 10 minutes, I'd mm. rather play like a, something more substantial. So it really is bite size. Yeah. 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 No, I guess. But okay. Like, like, like but this, what if? Let's like, say. Like, there's a game I would play like in line at Disneyland. Not... Let's say you had a 10 minute ride on. Let's say you lived in New York and you had a 10 minute ride going from Lower East Side up to like 70 something Street. That's longer than 10 minutes. But let's say you had that commute and you had your phone in one hand and you were holding onto the rail with the other. Wouldn't you want the option to play Mario Run? Wait, I wouldn't be able to? They... No, that's my point. If there's no cell service in the subway, oh, subway, how do you play it? Oh, I don't know if I want to play in the subway like that. I feel like I'd drop my phone or something. Oh, like well, so maybe I'm the weird off. Like, I bet you average Joe iPhone owner probably will not care or notice. But for us, me... It's a little more. It's more mm. of like a why. Like they could get around this so easily, but yet I guess not. the only game I could see that being an issue mm-hmm. because it is because it has to be, always be online. It's Hearthstone, but I have to keep uninstalling that because I'll play it too much. Because so. you have an addiction, and we have tried to seek. We have done. We've tried. I have tried to interventions on this very show for that very addiction, and yet. Well, it's not on my phone anymore. That's good, but it's on your computer. In fact. Recording this episode about 20 minutes later than planned because you had to sneak in two more matches. It's actually three, but... Oh, yeah. even worse. Better. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I was starting to say um, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm the odd man out here. It just seems like Nintendo could take a better tack with this. Hmm. How, but like, most people are just going to copy. Well, I mean, yeah. do we happen to know what other games are like? Um, like most iPhone games have offline support, like, like um, airplane mode support. Most of the games on my phone, I like, can... Like that, like that band, what's it called? Um, um, it's like a multiplayer Well, multiplayer, of course, would be online. Oh, man, I know it's like really big right now. Um, I... Contest of Champions? No. Well, anything that's multiplayer would need online, because it's multiplayer. Well, yeah, but I mean... We're talking single player more, more so, I feel like. I mean, I guess Candy Crush, but I don't know. If that's even that still... works in airplane mode. Most games have a single-player component. You can do in airplane mode. So it's weird that Mario is the exception. But again, I don't. maybe I'm the odd man. Like I was saying, maybe I'm the odd man out. Like, maybe people are just going to get caught up in the hype around Mario Run and not care, and they'll pay the 10 bucks, and then when it happens, they'll be like, darn, and then just move about their day. Maybe I'm the only one that cares because I care so much about, like, the stuff in general, like, about the Nintendo everything. So, like, because I'm just thinking, like, if you look at the marketing they have, it's gonna, it totally gonna bury any reference to this. People will still pay the money. They'll unless they start the game on airplane or on their commute, they're not gonna notice this issue until they already paid. So Nintendo will get their money. I mean, I can definitely also see it sucking in like um, I don't get you doing like a long trip. Like I know there's some parts on the drive to Vegas where cell service just kind of cuts. Right. So I could, so you couldn't play there. So it's like oh, you're just playing and then out of nowhere, bam. Yeah, and we don't know the details of how this is going to work in terms of how it cuts off, or maybe you do just need a quick ping at the beginning. All Mimo says is there's constant internet required, so that suggests constant internet. But, mm-hmm. but, but I did, you know, I did mention the marketing for this. Nintendo's really going all out, like really going all out. Like regardless of the online issue, they, I mean, not only do they have Miyamoto, like they're trying him out to like every major media outlet. Like, they're having him do weird little, these wonderful little videos where he's, like, eating cakes a different size while playing Mario. Or, like, identifying the uh, the size of objects backstage at Jimmy Fallon. Like, just random things. But then they also have, like, a real marketing campaign with, like, this... I think there must be a huge co-marketing deal with Apple. Because, like, there is so much Mario Run stuff that Apple's doing. I mean, they have that crazy two-minute li- uh, long live commercial that Apple must have helped pay for. Because that thing looked pricey. It's really cool. It's really, like... 
as the kids say, hype. But no, it it is really cool. Like I love that commercial. But then on top of that, they have all Apple Store employees are being given eight eight pin, uh, eight bit Mario pins that they can wear. It's like every single Apple Store they're gonna be wearing Mario pins. All the iPhones at every Apple Store are currently running demo uh, like video reels of the Mario game on them. Every single iPhone is running the same demo reel of Mario, and all of them will have the demo playable. On top of that, Apple's social media keeps tweeting and posting about mario run like they're doing countdowns and everything they had miyamoto at the soho apple store where they do panels doing a panel it's everywhere not not to forget the uh the whole um you know it being revealed at an apple keynote which is unusual to begin with for a game so and of course the fallon thing so like there's this huge 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 push for mario run and it seems to be working because nintendo's stock is at the highest point it's been since the peak of pokemon go on july 19th so that's just off the buzz of Mario Run. So it's working. The question is, will it deliver after it's out? I mean, the Notify thing has been pressed by 20 million people, but how many people are going to pay? Some estimates are putting that they're going to make $71 million in the first month, which is a lot, but not what Pokemon Go made, but that's an unfair comparison. So, hmm. yeah. I mean, it seems like... I did like an informal poll with co- coworkers, and it seems like a lot of them are interested. Up until I say it costs ten dollars. Hmm. So, so, how many of them are actually going to pay? I don't know. That's what we have to see. A lot of them are like, well, we'll see how it is. Uh, like, I'll play the free part and then decide, so, uh, well, which is what Nintendo wants. Because well, so like, what was your, I guess, survey? Like, did like four out of five said they were going to pay? Or no, that that, that that was everyone. Boy, I just told you. Oh. I mean, I only asked like five people. <laughs> so this is super anecdotal but all five had the same basic reaction actually no four out of five did one who's more of a gamer was like yeah I'd buy it but the other four we'll wait and see yeah exactly so I mean the aim the aim that Nintendo has is for this to not be a flash in the pan they don't want all this marketing to be for like oh it's out and then no one pays for anything like according to the Wall Street Journal uh, Nintendo's planning to do in-game events after launch kind of like they do with Splatoon on Wii U or a better example maybe is uh, Mitomo. They still have Mitomo promotions going on. Uh, and, I mean, it is their Trojan horse into my Nintendo, so they better be trying to give it more staying power. I guess it's just a matter of seeing what will happen. Um, I, I feel like whatever it does is going to pale in comparison to that other Nintendo app, Pokemon Go. Like, there's no way... Everyone's kind of banking on this being, like, the next Pokemon Go, but I, do, I don't think this is the next Pokemon Go. Because Pokemon Go is free. Is freemium, so basically you can do as much as you want for free if you're willing to put in the time. So, we shall see. But, but Go has, Go has kind of become a good lesson in how Nintendo can best like approach this entire strategy. I mean, the game had its ups and downs, and it still does, but it's rebounding pretty well. We talked about like how they're doing more promotional events last episode, and then since then, just this past week, they announced Sprint stores, ten thousand different Sprint locations, are now Pokestops and gyms. 7,000 Starbucks locations are now Pokestops and gyms. In fact, in the case of Starbucks, if you go to a Starbucks, the little emblem in the game is a picture of a Frappuccino, and if you go in, you can order a special custom Pokemon Go Frappuccino. It is a vanilla Frappuccino with raspberry and strawberry syrup. Wow. It's very purple. Yeah, you could definitely feel the hype for that game. Like It's bubbling like, back yeah, up. Yeah, like ramping back up like with the... People getting excited over, like, oh, new Pokemon on January 12th or yes, whatever. Yes, yes. So Niantic's going to be announcing Wave 2 of Pokemon, which I assume means Gold Silver, on January 12th. I mean, not January, December 12th, this coming December, Tuesday. Yeah. Like, two days after this goes live. This oh, episode. Wow. 
So what's interesting about that is Are you going to... Well, actually, you have been playing it, right? Because mm-hmm. you've been trying to get Ditto. Yeah, I eased up a bit. I lost hope. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm going to double back in with the gold and silver Pokemon. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is they are very smartly saying we're going to make you we're going to give you 100 more pokemon and they're all going to be at near pokestops because of the new nearby feature which tells you which pokestop to go to so to make that easier here are 1700 more pokestops for you at regular locations you go to anyway like starbucks hmm. so me personally i'm going to get back in just because of new pokemon but people that were like eh, this is too difficult or eh, i'm getting lazy about this or eh, i want new pokemon here you go. They just made it very easy. 1,700 new places to go get Pokemon. And while you're there, you can get Pokemon Go Frappuccino, which looks very purple, like I said. <laughs> so it's pretty smart. And oh, and I don't think it's a coincidence. This is all happening right as winter break starts for the majority of people that still go to school. Yeah. They are really banking. They are. Someone at Niantic under, started to understand how marketing works, and this is what we get. We get this whole thing at once. So. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, I, th- I think this could be the resurgence. It's not going to be, like, the level it was this summer, but it's certainly going to be significantly more. Well, than I mean, if any bump is going to help them, it would be the gold and silver era after yep. this. The nostalgia I, wanes. Yeah, it, it's not. It's never going to be as big. I mean... No. I, lo- I mean, yeah. Ruby and Sapphire was literally when a lot of people that I know, like, Amanda. literally, like, stopped caring. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you... On this album, by like some kind of interesting message, like, oh, I remember this generation is when I stopped caring. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I wonder what Pokemon are in here. Oh, yeah. a whale lord, what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that would be a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why a whale lord of all Pokemon? I don't know, it just popped into my head. I'm, I'm kind of just into the that's like in your mind. Oh. Yeah, whale lord's great, it's yeah. like his whole stomach is smiling, yeah, because it's curved the same as his mouth, and it has lines that look it's like a really teeth. weird Pokemon. He looks like, whale he's lord. like a blimp. Whalelord is a smiling blimp that just looks very lovable, but also he could crush you because he's so massive. Yeah. So he's the best embodiment of the dark lore of Pokemon, where he's like this innocent-looking thing that will destroy you if need and be, and can somehow breed with Skitty because they're in the same breeding class. Yeah. Hey, love, love is blind. No, that's a really long sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what were we even talking about before Whalelord? Oh, Pokemon Go. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it does well. Uh, I do. I do think it's interesting that um, even if Pokemon Go doesn't, let's say it's a bust. Let's say Gold and Silver does nothing. Let's say Starbucks and Sprint somehow has negative effects and people stop playing. You still could see with Pokemon Go how Nintendo's mobile strategy can deliver on exactly what they promised it would, and what in theory that will mean for Mario Run. Case in point, what I'm getting at here. Pokemon Sun and Moon are now the best, sorry, the fastest selling games released in the Americas and Europe by Nintendo in their entire history. Period. Well, give me a by comparison. In our continent alone, here in the Americas, they have sold 3.7 million copies in 12 days of Pokemon Sun and Moon. That is 85% higher, nearly double what X and Y did in 2013. How's that for comparison? In Europe, Sun and Moon moved 1.5 million in only a week. In Japan, Sun and Moon moved 1.9 million, which is actually slightly less than X and Y, but still extremely high. X and Y is the current record, record holder for the franchise. Really so, random stat, but for some reason, that just what you just said reminded me yeah. that the other day, just because they just announced um, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, um, someone on Twitter posted like, oh, some, some people have been saying like, oh, this franchise is doing well, that apparently the entire franchise 
From, oh, I saw this. Yeah. yeah, like from Marvel's Capcom One all the way to Marvel's Capcom Ultimate. Yeah, Ultimate Three. Yeah. Um, has sold like twelve million or something like that. Like the entire yep. franchise, and then like wow, so this game just sold like a fourth of that. Mm-hmm. The entire franchise. in twelve days. Yeah. Keep in mind, they shipped ten million copies to retailers for launch. So basically, Pokemon sells through, assuming it sells through for holidays, which it will, because it's sold out in a lot of places. Um, because it's Pokemon, they have sold like almost the entirety of Marvel versus Capcom by the end of the holidays. If yeah. not exceed it, that's nuts. It's funny how this generation definitely feels how. At least to me, like it feels very new, but at the same time, familiar, very old. Like, like yeah, like this game, like you could tell, as we've said before, it's definitely like built just for nostalgia. Yeah, well, it's and it's very smart because to prove Nintendo's point that their mobile strategy works, they played off the nostalgia perfectly with Pokemon Go, and then they went, "Cool, now that we got your attention, look at this other game that perfectly ties in. <laughs> it's it's made for you, the guy who's not used to Pokemon, but it's also made for people that do like Pokemon. So here you go, it's the best of both worlds. So yeah. what's really interesting to me is I keep saying interesting, I need to find another word, but what I find what I find fascinating, not really, is that the ripple effect of, of the Pokemon Go Halo is so big. Like so on Cyber Monday, of all things to sell out. The 2DS Yokai Watch bundle completely <laughs> sold out. And you know why I think it's sold out? Kids are playing Pokemon Go. They go to their parents and like, I want the new Pokemon and I want something to play it on. And their parents go, well, if I get little Timmy, little Timmy's back, if I get little Timmy the 2DS Yokai Watch bundle for $70 or $80, I get the game and the system and then I can get Pokemon and he gets two games. And one of the games, he watches Yokai Watch on Disney and he likes Pokemon and Yokai Watch kind of looks I'm like Pokemon. I'm such an awesome parent. I'm so great. I'm going to high-five myself. But like that... That happening, I think, is also a result, in a way, of Pokemon Go. Like, Yo-Kai Watch is not that big. The sequel is not selling all that great. Yet, the bundle sells out? That surprises me. And there's zero doubt in my mind, and I think uh, Reggie has said the same thing in interviews over the last week or so, in the context of Mario Run, that Pokemon Go is what is driving almost all of this. And it makes you wonder how Animal Crossing is going to boost the franchise going forward, and how Fire Emblem is going to boost the franchise going forward when they release those two apps. It's hard to say because they haven't even decided the monetization for each of them. DNA, their publishing partner, or their developer part, development partner, said they're going to be free to play. Now Reggie and Miyamoto are saying we don't know yet. So maybe Mario runs the test for that. But Mario runs the test for a lot of things. Mario runs really the test to see if this whole strategy works more than once, more than just like a fluke with Pokemon. But as of right now, Nintendo's silly plan of let's make mobile games that are basically marketing pitches for full games worked and it worked perfectly so they don't look so silly anymore so hmm. we shall see we shall see now i did mention sun and moon and you have been sending me for three days straight the most crazy number of texts that are violently angry about something with the game so while it's sound great you personally have a bone to pick with it from my understanding so what do you mean i was very positive you... with it when i talked about it two weeks ago yeah but the time since you discovered something and it's been eating away at you so much that there's literally now, to make you feel better, a statue of Chatot sitting between our microphones just because you needed the reassurance that you do have Chatot in your life after what went wrong in the game. So would you like to explain to our dear listeners what you've been sending yeah. me hundreds of texts I mean, when it, com- when it comes to um, gripes, this is as personal as it can get, I guess? This is the first world problem of the Pokemon world. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, the game is great love it obviously i mean i i just finished it again like completely took me this run was like almost 30 hours so 
I guess I've played the game for 60 hours, but only have one run to show for it. But. But. So, ah, damn, this version of Pokemon just really likes to tease me. Because I, there are like a few Pokemon that I really, really love. Specifically six that I made a whole team of. Half of them are in the game. The other half, I didn't want to spoil myself. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to look online to see exactly what Pokemon are in the game until after I beat the game. So you get a Poke, or a po- uh, you get a Pokedex with a Rotom in it. So I figured, all right, Rotom's one of my favorite Pokemon. He's a, one of your Pokedex, so he, he has to be available in the game somehow. Turns out he's not. So to, to, uh, yeah, go ahead. Pass yeah, it. turns out he's not. So all right, I have to wait to transfer him. So then I'm like, all right, cool. Oh look, there's a store that's their mascot is literally Slurpuff. He must be available in the game too then. Wrong. Yep. That's my impression of Donald Trump, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so. so <laughs> So lastly, um, like Chatot, which I would definitely say now is like my favorite, like number one when it comes to my all-time favorite Pokemon. Like, all right, we're in a tropical island. He's a tropical-looking bird. He should be here. Oh, look, there's an NPC that has a Chatot shirt that I know you can get somewhere. He must be in the game, right? Wrong. <laughs> yep, he's wrong. I mean, yeah, he's not. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. I mean... It does. It is just have to wait till like January to get these Pokemon. But do the Pokemon Bank for those that don't know what you're. But at the very least, I still have this awesome Chata shirt because rarely do the Pokemon that I really like get any love from Nintendo. Like as far as merchandising goes, so like when I saw the like this Chata toy a long time ago, I bought it instantly. Or when I saw like a Mega just staring at me. Or when I saw this Mega Pinsir keychain in Japan, like I had to get it because there's rarely any Weavile stuff. Any yeah, rarely any Pinsir stuff. I mean, they're not the most. I guess popular Pokemon, but Chata like a Chata shirt in the game, like that's just so awesome. Like I wanted to put get my character on it because I love Chata and wanted that shirt. And it turns out um, that you can only get it in Moon, and I have Sun. And I was really and I got sad. so many angry text messages <laughs> about it, and like for an hour <laughs> on multiple days. <laughs> so I just started looking online and tried to find ways to like, all right, maybe there has to be a way to get it, right? Like, because apparently you could do something in the plaza where you could exchange clothing or talk to someone and buy their outfit. But I guess those that particular shirt and some or some shirt that's on sun for, I guess the opposite shirt. I guess those you just can't do that. So I don't know. I've just been really bummed about that. No, you haven't been bummed. You've been like violently angry. Because, like, <laughs> let, let, let's frame this correctly. You have, I've never seen you swear so much in a single series of text messages as about a digital shirt <laughs> for a digital character in a game where no one can see the shirt except the occasional people you battle. So it's really for your own benefit only. It's just a shame that. It is, it is about Like, of all the, the characters to make a random shirt of, they happen to make one of Chata. And, and it happens to not be And they all. happen to buy the wrong version. I mean, I can't give you too much flack for this because I went on a whole ditto in Pokemon Go tirade last episode. But I, I feel my ditto thing is slightly more of a thing than your chat talk because at least mine's affect, mine affects the gameplay a little. <laughs> but... It does affect the gameplay. It affects how much I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. You 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 were saying before recording, you might swear off Nintendo completely, and I'm not just making, I'm not just putting words in your mouth. You were literally saying those words. <laughs> I mean, that might have been an over exaggeration. But... I don't think it was based on some of the texts you sent me. <laughs> if we if we didn't have that little clean tag next to us on iTunes, I would just start reading your text out loud. But I don't want to damage the poor ears of innocent souls. So, well, <laughs> it I, was. I guess I just really like Chata, and I I um, don't know if it's a like or a love situation, <laughs> but you've had deep, deep feelings for that bird, and it it, it just shouldn't have made that shirt. It shouldn't have. 
already somehow making so it. So there's a- zero way to get it. To make sure I understand it correctly, absolutely nothing. You can't like see it on someone else and like buy it in like a. I mean, as far as from what I can tell, no. But I also don't know if these people have gotten far enough to the point where we maybe they can. I mean, I have no idea. As of now, it looks like it's a no, Hmm. which really sucks. I'm debating whether like, well, maybe if there's this version on the Switch, maybe that won't have to. Oh, if Stars ends up being real, that they have all the shirts because that's probably their number one development concern is making sure all the shirts. Still gonna call it Eclipse. If it should be called Eclipse. If Eclipse has it, maybe that will be the reason why I would have to beat it a third time. But Now, are you really going to call it Eclipse? Because I do, to this day, call... Uh, what's his name? Smugleaf. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call it Eclipse. What, uh, what's his actual name? Smugleaf? Snivy? Snivy. 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 Like Ivy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he's called Snivy, but I still call him Smugleaf because he's smug and he has a leaf. So that, that's all that really matters to me. And you got a text, which is now being broadcast across all sorts of devices. Oh, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Apple, unified Apple. Yeah. Kind of go ahead and put your phone on vibrate. Oh, it wasn't it? vibrate. Yeah. It was your desktop. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, so we had that little yeah, tirade. Moving on. Yeah, yeah we, we had that little tirade. And we talked about Mario Run for longer than I think is possible off three demos, but we managed. And yet we still have only covered half of what they showed at the Fallon taping thing. We're only doing, we've only covered half of the Tonight Show. It was nine minutes. We spent 49 talking about half. The other biggie is, of course, the Switch itself. I mean, yeah, Zelda was there. But we learned more about Zelda at the Game Awards, I think, than we did at Fallon. So we will save Zelda for when we get to the Game Awards. But the Switch, man, the Switch, it was there. It was real. And it was it's thin. playable. It was so thin. It was, like, shockingly thin. That industrial design of it actually looks really good in, like, real-world conditions. Like, I mean, granted, it had, like, stage lighting on it, so the screen was really reflective because it had the bright, bright lights. But, like, it looked really good in Fallon's hands, I thought. Like, it looked like a... a attractive industrial design electronic device not like a fisher price toy not naming names nintendo but some of your devices have looked like fisher price toys <laughs> so uh like it reminded me of the wii less of the wii u less of the 3ds more of the wii and the ds Lite, which are the 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 key ones so that was reassuring but also watching fallon fiddle with it when he was you know like taking it off the putting out the kickstand stuff revealed a couple interesting tidbits that confirmed some rumors or not fully confirmed but just confirmation um it looks like USB-C charging is a go there is a port on there so that means either uh it's a lie or it's real but but actually what I was gonna say is because it's there that confirms two things one is uh all those listings that popped up in those Australian EV games of USB-C chargers for the Switch are in fact legit. So if you want to pre-order one, you can go pre-order one. And two, it means on a personal level, level I can now charge my Switch with the same cord I could charge my MacBook. So that's great. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. But that's also crappy because now if I'm on, a, if I'm traveling somewhere with my new MacBook and my new Switch, and I only bring one cord. Wait, isn't that a good thing? That means you only have to bring one cord. I have to alternate. I can't charge them both overnight. Well, Why could you is charge the switch with the MacBook, or you could take boom both boom. cords, or and that's the same as having proprietary cords. And this whole point's moot. This is really just a subtle way for me to point out that I got a MacBook Pro and it's lovely. Anyway, that's the one one thing to note. The second thing to note is there's a lack of a visible stylus slot. That's something IGN noticed, and that lines up very nicely with rumors that it has a multi-touch screen like a smartphone does, like a finger-friendly one. So probably safe to say it does have that screen 
The third thing, and this is most interesting, this is one I did not notice in their little list, is if you look at the back of it when he sets it on the table, the Switch has a CE logo under its logo. The CE is normally reserved for European devices. That is their FCC equivalent, much like we used to have FCC symbols on our devices, they have the CE. So if you look at a phone or something, you'll see that the CE and the FCC logos are often on the same device because they make them global. They are region-free. Nintendo has always been region-locked, so, you know, you only had one or you had the other. So the fact that the CE is on the Switch suggests that perhaps the rumors of it being region-free are true. Because why would the American Switch on American television have the European CE unless it's because it's region-free? So there's another probably confirmed rumor. Or maybe they just happened to demo the European version. But why would they have that at the American office? Well, why would they need to use it? Like, cause I maybe Reggie got the wrong one if they were running out. I doubt that. Maybe they but... had all three versions and they were just comparing them. Well, that's like, why oh, I... go grab the Switch from that... Fallon's. Oh, that's... which one? They all look kind of the same. <laughs> they all look the same, except one has a C on the back and an E. Well, that's why I'm saying they're practically confirmed rumors. Because we don't know for sure if the screen's going to be what it's going to be. We don't know for sure if it's region-free. We don't know for sure if it's USB-C. But it all looks like it is. It all looks like they're there. And of course, right as these get nearly confirmed, we get a whole new batch of rumors that pop up from the usual suspects of the very reliable Eurogamer and Laura Kate Dale of Let's Play Video Games. So as one rumor comes to a close, another one opens, and first up is Eurogamer's rumor, GameCube games are coming to the Switch Virtual Console. Not exactly a surprise. I mean, it's the one system that isn't yet on any Virtual Console on any Nintendo system, and it's legacy enough that it should be. I mean, if the Wii can have... If Virtual Wii games console. can be on Wii U, why can't GameCube games be on Wii U or Switch? So apparently, NERD, which is Nintendo's division in France, that is their actual name, NERD, N-E-R-D, they are working on the emulation for GameCube, which is promising because they did the NES Classic Edition emulation, which is very good. I'll talk about it at the tail end of the show. But uh, what Eurogamer is saying is that Luigi's Mansion, Super Mario Sunshine... And Super Smash Bros. Melee will be the first games to get the virtual console treatment on the Switch. They're already up and running. They're ready to go. And separately, Nerd is also experimenting with the GameCube version of Animal Crossing. Interestingly, they will keep all the NES games you could play in it 100% intact. So if you don't want to play, if you don't want to buy like, you know, every NES game on the virtual console, you could buy Animal Crossing and then take, you know, seven minutes every time you want to play an NES game to boot up, talk to Rover, have Rover open the game, go into the game, go into your house. But nonetheless, they're all there. So that, that is surprising. Um, personally, as much as I'd love to revisit Sunshine, I think the most noteworthy thing on this list is probably Smash Bros. The Return of Melee. And I would say it ties into the eSports push that Nintendo's happening, assuming this is true. Because, um, you know, we had the Splatoon championship stuff in the trailer for the Switch. There are those reports of Nintendo speaking to eSport uh, e organizers and teams that came out shortly after the Switch. Uh, there are rumors of the enhanced Super Smash Bros. for Wii U on Switch that will have new characters and stuff. And now there's Melee on the Switch. And Melee, even though Smash for Wii U is arguably the bigger eSport Smash now, I mean, you can probably talk about this better than I can, Melee still has quite a following. Right. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, why would Nintendo want them to keep championing like old hardware when they could be using a Switch to play? Exactly. So to really, but you may be thinking, but GameCube controllers. Were you thinking, but GameCube controllers? No, because because, you know, because it can either make the the adapter work or bingo. Yeah. 
Supposedly. I mean, their USB slots on it. I mean. Supposedly, they're going to make an adapter for the adapter. They're still looking at it. It's not for sure. This is less confirmed by Eurogamer than the rest, but Eurogamer says Nintendo is looking into making an adapter for the adapter. Or some way that you can use the GameCube adapter on the Wii U with the Switch. You mean you can't just plug it in to the USB slots? Well, the Switch has USB C. So they're going to make an adapter much like my MacBook. I thought it had regular USB slots on the front or something. The Switch has. Yeah. Oh! You might be right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it has... I didn't think of the dock. I'm pretty sure the dock has... Maybe it won't just work. I'm pretty sure the dock has USB slots. But see, then that leads to a different question. And that is, how is multiplayer go work for Smash? Then I guess... Or any GameCube game. Well... I mean, I guess if you're not playing on the dock, you'll just have to settle for... That's I guess that's going to be it. Like, if you're not playing on the dock, you're just going to have to settle for either the little Joy-Cons or the Pro controllers. Yeah. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I it's, guess it's just going to be a tough cookie situation. And for the most part, I can't really see that being a big deal since when you play in a tournament, you would obviously be on a dock because you want to play on the TV and not on the tiny screen. So let's say, hypothetically, you are using Joy-Cons. Let's say it is Smash Bros., a four-player game, or let's say it is Mario Party well, everyone, 4, a everyone has, I mean, everyone would have their would, own pro controller anyway, so... Would, does, that was, that would the Switch work with four controllers without it being a dock? We never really talked yeah, about it. Yeah, they did. Did they show it? Four um, controllers, oh. one switch. No, it's two people per switch usually. You're right. Uh, That's so they're gonna have to build it now. Nerd, that French Nintendo division that does the emulation, does a good job. So they could, in theory, build in local LAN support, so you get multiple switches that network and trick the GameCube game into thinking it's doing four player. But I don't think they've shown any single switch having four people around it unless it's on a TV, like in the dock. Hmm. So something well, to consider. And if they're building in that support. Why don't they go one step further and why don't they add online multiplayer for some of these games? Wouldn't that be kind of neat? I know that's kind of against Nintendo's MO with Virtual Console, but hey, if they have to trick it into thinking LAN isn't LAN, how much harder is it to trick it into thinking that online isn't online? I mean, emulators already do it with Melee, so... Exactly. Yeah. Like, so that I think that'd be really cool, actually. I think it opens up a whole new range of possibilities and it just makes Smash Melee that much more of a thing. They could even up it if they want, do Smash HD. Or at least output in 1080p. I mean, the Dolphin emulator can do all this. Yeah. can't be that hard for a nerd to figure it out. It's, um, who I mean, knows? considering a lot of these people are doing all these kind of upreses for free, and some of them look really, really good. Yeah, like, it seems like... I mean, even not even just on like consoles, like even on 3DS, like mm-hmm. some people are... Like, I've been already watching like a lot of just like competitive Pokemon battles, like just like what, where the meta's going in Pokemon Sun and Moon. Sure, yeah. And some of these people use capture cards for straight... Like straight from the 3ds to their computer preference, but others are using an emulation to use that whole up-res, get rid of the outlines thing, mm-hmm. and it looks really, really good. Pretty much so, so much so that you, that you would imagine that's how it's going to look on the Switch With if stars they were to make or Eclipse. Eclipse, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. It 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 seems like if Nintendo doesn't do this, it's a big missed opportunity. It also, makes me wonder why they had Nerd do it because Nerd, like they can do more than just emulation. They built the classic NES interface so it can't be that hard you know and they built like the crt tube view and they built all that so it can't be that hard for them to just like add multiplayer stuff yeah, yeah. and i mean it's possible what they could mm-hmm. do is they make it so you could have names that are more than four characters that'd be nice in melee at least i guess but yeah, i mean i'll say see then you're then you're really getting to no no yeah well yeah. i mean at that point i mean they're gonna trick the game and think it's doing something it's not that's the extent i think they're gonna go yeah. with this but, but, I mean, I guess the, the alternative is they go the Nintendo lazy route and they just limit GameCube multiplayer to only when it's on the dock. Which would be kind of dumb because it undermines the concept of the Switch. 
but at the same time it's possible that will happen because this, there's a new rumor from Laura Kate Dale or a new report that the Switch is actually going to know when it's in the dock and give itself a performance boost when it's in the dock so it isn't that absurd to say maybe some games will have features in the dock even though that like I said undermines literally the point of the Switch but yeah according to a report how it's going to work is they are going to uh, give the the Switch will jump to a higher clock speed for its chips and everything when it's in the dock. The dock has zero extra power, as Nintendo has always said, but it will because it's directly powered through a USB-C cord at that point and has a direct line to the TV so it doesn't have to use its screen. It will basically sort of overclock itself so it can actually output in real 1080p on the TV, even though it's only presumably doing like 720 on the Switch screen. So if that's the case, I could see GameCube multiplayer becoming something that's only on the TV. Nintendo could even argue it's really hard for us to run four-player local LAN GameCube games that weren't built that way when you're on the go, but with the power boost on the TV, sure, we can do it. I'm hoping that's not the case. But we'll see. The upside, though, of this whole, like, the powers in the system not on the dock... Nintendo in the future supposedly is going to plan to sell separate docks. So you can put a dock in every room and just plop your Switch down whichever room you're in and the dock will be like 20 bucks or something. Kind of like the 3DS one. It's kind of cool, cool. right? Because all it needs is the USB-C plug. Everything else it will handle internally. So Nintendo's not lying when they're saying it's all in the system. What they are lying about is what the system knows. Yeah. So so it is kind of cool. Yeah. That's actually not all Laura Kate Dale's been saying, though. She oh, also boy. has given a bit of insight into some third-party stuff coming to Switch again. First, this one's uh, this one's an odd one. Uh, Tecmo Koei is was trying to make a Star Fox Warriors, a la Hyrule Warriors, but with Star Fox characters, and Nintendo shot it down. So there's that. That's good. There's really not much else to say about that, except there's that. But perhaps more significant is what From Software is up to. And... I don't know how much you know or remember about From Software, but back in the GameCube days, they were very close to Nintendo. They had the Lost Kingdoms RPG series that did quite well. They had two games on GameCube. And then they kind of drifted away and onto bigger and better things, namely a certain little franchise called Dark Souls. And now it sounds like they're going to be, if Lord Kate Dale is correct, they're going to be coming back with Dark Souls in tow to Nintendo. According to our sources, uh, From Software has gotten Dark Souls 3 to run at a level that they're actually comfortable and happy with on the Switch, like the performance is good enough. So now they're weighing, do they release Dark Souls 3 day and date with the PS4 and Xbox One versions? Or, this is what they should do, I think, do they do a full trilogy re-release of Dark Souls 1, 2, 3 bundled together with all the DLC and make it for Switch? I would argue do the latter one. Yeah, we don't want another Mass Effect situation. Yeah, like no one's going to know what's going on if they're Nintendo only. But I think what Dark Souls really shows is there's this pattern emerging among... Uh, the games we're hearing about that are coming to the Switch. You know, you got Skyrim, you got NBA 2K, you now have Dark Souls, and the pattern is that they're all these true core gamer games. They're not casual fare, they're not family friendly, they're gamers, game, they're games for gamers. Which ties in nicely with the whole concept of the Switch, which is, you know, you can play everything you're used to playing just on the go now, and it potentially means uh, further opportunities for third parties, because the fact is, a lot of third parties left Nintendo because their audience for their products don't line up with the audience for Nintendo products. This is not a secret. But now's the chance potentially for those to realign. Because, you know, we were stuck with Activision support, Wii U, sure. But we only got two Call of Duties, and then they dropped that, and they only gave us Skylanders. 
They got someone like EA who didn't even bother supporting Wii U because nothing resonated with the with the Wii U base that they make. Yet now we have Peter Moore of EA publicly stating that quote a major game is coming to the Switch. So something's shifting. My my guess for the major game is we're looking at either Star Wars, FIFA, or Madden. One of those three. FIFA would be big for Europe, and there's already precedent of sports because NBA 2K. Madden would be big for America, but I feel like Madden's not as popular as it was. I don't know. Star Wars would make sense because that's their hot new license, and it has the history with Nintendo. What I'd actually like to see, but I know they won't do, is uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. That would be cool. I don't know much about that game, but sitting in my seat at the Game Awards and watching that five-minute gameplay thing, I was like, oh my god, it's like it's like Breath of the Wild, but sci-fi, and you're shooting things, and it looks fun. So, if they did that, I'd be okay with that. Hmm. Maybe they'll surprise you. Maybe. Anyway, I digress. The point I was trying to make is that Switch is Nintendo's chance to jump back into the like core gamer console war, but do so in a way that actually makes sense. They don't have to compete with PS4 head-on. They'll compete with Xbox One head-on. They can cater to those audiences with the same games they're used to, just with this presented this different way of now they're portable. So it's interesting that like previously, the last time they tried this was the GameCube. And with the GameCube, they just went toe-to-toe. They're just like, we are like Xbox, but we are better because we have Mario. And that didn't work. Then they went casual with Wii. Then they went kind of somewhere in between with Wii U. And now they can go, we are like Xbox, but you can play it anywhere. And by the way, developers, you don't have to do anything to make it play anywhere. We're not telling you shoehorn in motion. We're not telling you shoehorn in um, like a gamepad situation. Just, you know, port your game over and our own system will handle the extra hook. As far as you're concerned, it's like a PS4 or an Xbox. As far as the consumer is concerned, it's that plus portability. So in theory, that could mean that we're going to see a lot more third-party stuff along the lines of Dark Souls and Skyrim and NBA 2K, which the Nintendo world has not seen in quite a while. So that's kind of that's potentially very cool, I think. Uh, I don't I don't think it means Nintendo's demographics are going to switch on dime though. Like, there's no way far from, like there's literally no way that the audience who buys a Nintendo system now will just disappear. What I think is going to happen is core gamers will expand, the audience will expand to include core gamers, but there's still going to be that huge demographic of kids and family-friendly stuff, and we're you know we're already seeing Nintendo cater it. we got Mario Kart coming, you got Splatoon coming, you got Mario Switch coming, you got the rumored Mario versus, or Mario Cross Rabbids RPG, which, by the way, is basically confirmed now. Did you see that Ubisoft video? No. So there's this Ubisoft video to celebrate their 30th anniversary, and they show a guy walking through a room oh. that has Mario, Luigi, and Toad rabbits like in the room. I did not see the video, but I did see that image. Yes, because so that's it was what that's tweeted from. by you. It was because I admitted that if those become amiibo, I will cave and buy them. I will. They have my money. Now it's possible this video was just like these are our production, these are our partners, because there's also apparently a South Park rabbit somewhere in there. So these are our partners. We're representing them in rabid form, but to me, it sounds more like um, it sounds more like it was a. This is the RPG is happening. So if you want to see the video and the image for yourself, we do have a link on the blog post to those listening. Um, but yeah, but beyond like the Ubisoft thing, beyond that, we're also in terms of the Nintendo demographic. There's also been news coming out that shows that that's being catered to as well as this core gamer group we're not used to seeing. With you know, with like I said, with what Nintendo's doing, but also THQ Nordic of all companies is stepping up to the Switch. Very Nintendo centric, Nintendo like standard fare. They've confirmed they have two games coming to the Switch, and they're a company who owns the rights to all the old THQ franchises. So the Blob, Deadly Creatures of all things, if you remember that Wii game, 
always wanted to play it, but never did. Yeah, me neither. They they actually would like to do an HD remix, like, so maybe yeah, that'd be on the Switch. Yeah, like the concept just always sounded really cool, but it I was think cool. I. But I think I heard about it too late, and it just didn't really see it. GameStop might have it like used or something. Mm-hmm. I would definitely add it to my discount for list, but. Um, I mean, if there's rumors of a remake, I'm... well, they say, they they THQ Nordic in an interview brought up they own the rights now and would like to do something with it. So yeah. they also have the rights to the Blob, which has a very close close ties to the Wii days of Nintendo and the that Nintendo chunk that of Nintendo game. history. Fun enough, but yeah. But the, the the one that kind of jumps out at me is there was this Zelda esque game. I don't know if you remember it called Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, and THQ Nordic, who by the way, for those who don't know what THQ Nordic is. So Nordic Games, uh, developers of Darkstalkers, I believe, basically when THQ fell apart, took it over. I actually, know, I don't know if they're developers or whatever, but they took it over. And when they took it over, they're like, you know what? Let's just become THQ. Like THQ a bankrupt, but why don't we take what worked and make it our own? So they went out and bought like all the licenses back to everything, including Switch and uh, Sphinx and the Cur- Cursed Mummy, which uh, this is what their CEO said. He confirmed their you know he confirmed they have the rights now and in the statement confirming that they have the rights he specifically said quote it's very well suited for the nintendo audience and this is within days of him also saying hey we have two switch games so i'm gonna be crazy i'm gonna put two and two together here and say that i'm pretty sure sphinx and the cursed mummy is coming to the switch just a hunch does that make you excited it does because i've only ever ever played it no, I've only seen the cover, and that's about it's it. It's actually a surprisingly good game. So it came out in, like, the mid-GameCube days. I want to say, like, 2003, maybe. And it's this kind of, like I said before, it's kind of Zelda-esque. But it's primarily... It, it's a third-person adventure, and that's how it's Zelda-esque. You saw puzzles and stuff. But it sort of has this, like, split personality. Because part of it, you're playing Sphinx, who can, like, transform and do stuff. And these are the more action-y sequences... And then there are other parts where you're playing this reluctant mummy who is doing stealth. The mummy's actually a boy prince who died too young, so he's this kind of cowardly guy. And then you have Sphinx who's this, like, soldier adventurer. And their paths keep crisscrossing as the story unfolds. It's actually a pretty funny game. It has good writing. It has clever puzzles. It was cool because not very many games are set in, like, ancient Egypt, and this one was, so they got to draw off all that for inspiration. And it was just, even the music was very good. Like, it was just a really well-done game. So even if they just HD ify that, that would be cool. But I'd love to see a bigger heard of it thing. If, I mean, all this praise you're giving it, and I still—it's not like the best game ever. No, but it's, yeah, it's like I mean, 8.5 I mean, out of ten easily. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like every once in a while I stumble upon these like gems from the GameCube era or yeah. like top ten games you never played, and they—I've never heard that one. Ever yeah, Spink, up. well, Sphinx was like it was weird. It had the weirdest development history. Like at one point, it was called something else, Sphinx in the something sacred scarab i don't know and then like literally like four months before it came out they changed the name at the last second and it was in development for like two years it was at like two different e3s so it had this really rocky history and it never did particularly great but now they have the rights and they're talking it up as being this nintendo suited thing and they're making games for switch so i'm pretty sure we're gonna be seeing things so i'm kind of excited because it was a cool game and and it does have like some zeldaism to it so i think it would actually resonate with the Nintendo folk pretty well, which brings us to Zelda, actually. Uh, we still need to discuss Breath of the Wild, because again, it was on Fallon, it was on the Game well, Awards, I mean, what, and what we've a, gone so long without mentioning it. I mean, it. what is there really to discuss about it? Well, like they did trot out not one, but two separate videos at the Game Awards about it, 
Yeah, somehow they felt like they were in the wrong order. Did you get that impression too? So like at the pre-show they had the trailer, and then in the show they had a five-minute essentially let's play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the hype was in the trailer, and the let's play was them attempting to mimic the Miyamoto Numa uh, look at the overworld let's play thing they did two years ago at the Game Awards, but without Miyamoto, without Anuma, and without any actual new things to show. Like the only new things that were in that let's play, I think, were smarter AI, like the, the enemy dodged a bomb, he's smart, and that uh, the quick attack, the quick time attack button thing, like the fury attack or whatever mm-hmm. flurry attack. That was something they haven't shown in demos before. But besides that, it's just like, yep, you can uh, do things how you want. You can take multiple paths. You can hit an enemy from afar, up close. Yep, it's all up to you. You can be stealthy. You can be actually sure. Yep, we knew all that from E3. So that kind of felt a little weird. Like, if that's all Nintendo brought to the Game Awards, it would have been a bummer. But luckily, they had that other trailer. It was only a minute long. But it did show a few things that were kind of interesting. I mean, one, it confirmed long-standing Zelda things that I think we assumed would be there, but didn't know for sure. You know, like, there are towns, there are NPCs, beyond that old guy that gives you the sword in the demo. There are, uh, other people. There's, mm-hmm. like, other key characters, like someone that happens to look an awful lot like Princess Zelda, or perhaps a female Link, but probably not. There's, uh, technology has a bigger Maybe influence. Maybe Zelda doing both roles. Perhaps. I mean, she like has a... been known to do stuff outside the castle. I mean, she That's doesn't true. have to always be she. That is true. And then there's, you know, the the trailer also showed, like, the technology influence is deeper than we thought. Like, there's an airship, literally, at one point. That seems to be tied to this um, interesting, crazy-looking bird person that I'm pretty sure is a cousin of Falco. Like, he looks a lot like Falco. <laughs> so, of Star Fox, for those who might be confused. Yeah, I'm very sure he's a cousin well, of Falco. Well, you know, he looks very similar. Blue head, same type of bird. He's not actually a cousin, I'm just saying, but... Yeah, I think I think what the, the so yeah, it was a little weird how they did them the wrong order, but I think the trailer did its job well. It raised a lot of questions. I mean, I I watched it a couple times over and like some of the analysis videos, and there are some things that you're kind of like, why? What is going on here? Like at one point, you see an NPC fighting Moblins on its own, possibly behind Link, possibly behind another villager. You can't really tell; he's kind of blurry. Like, what's that about? Are you going to be teaming up with people? Or are you? Is that just a scripted? cutscene like is there something more to it what about the fact that um if you look at the destroyed castle the destroyed like uh castle ruins they show in one part of the trailer it matches up perfectly with twilight princess castle town like the fountain is identical what does that mean is there some sort of tie to that why does the Birdman's ship have very similar wings shapes to loft wings from skyward sword so this is over analyzing sure but like there's a lot of questions like, could this be the game that brings together all the timelines because we also have as you recall at the e3 demo the old dude kind of seems like the um the king of hyrule from wind waker the one that gives you a sword it's like are they merging the timelines is it actually happening like it's too early to say but there's all these questions being raised and that's that's the good thing the one the one i'm not like that's a good thing in the sense of like Nintendo can build hype off a minute the let's play didn't do it but this trailer certainly did and whether it comes out in June or whether it comes out in March, like June's the rumor, March is what we all produced. We thought, either way, we're at the point now where we're actually going to start learning about it, I think. Like, once we hit 2017, once we see the January 12th Switch presentation, that's when things are going to ramp up we're actually going to get answers. The one thing I don't think is right that the internet seems to seize on is that is, as far as I'm concerned, not a female link. Ignoring the fact that Anuma specifically said at E3 there's no playable female link. She's wearing Zelda's gloves. 
At the end of the trailer, you see a girl wearing white gloves that Link is kneeling beside, and there's and the adventurer girl in the trailer is wearing the exact same gloves, but in black. But yeah. They have the same crest patterns on the knuckles. Yeah, they're not and identical, but I'm pretty sure. Well, no, it's, it's the yeah. same, like different color, same glove. It's like you know, if you buy a red shirt and a blue shirt, but they're both the same shirt. That's what I mean. No, but at least from what I saw. But may, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I don't know. But either way, that is not that is not female Link. If it's some sort of female adventurer, perhaps you get played as her. Perhaps you don't. That's a whole other question. Is like maybe Emily, maybe Emily Rogers wasn't wrong when she said there's a female character but she just misrepresented it as Link when it was actually someone else so who knows who knows but the takeaway is like I was saying we barely know anything about the new Zelda but now we get to learn about the new Zelda and that's what's kind of fun so and of course playing it so hopefully we get more info soon they did throw us a single I mean what, what was your take on the trailer actually because obviously I'm like excited about it but as someone that more passively watches your brother play Zelda than actually do it yourself were you just like, oh, mm. when you saw it? Like, did it, did it register anything or just like, all right? I guess I saw it and then I was like, well, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, game looks, game looks cool. That's it. It does. Nothing about it, it really stood out to me more than any other trailer. I mean, it was just more of the same good Breath of the Wild stuff. I, mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the thing that stood out to me most from all this is it's more Zelda Eve and Nintendo led on at E3. Because at E3, they made it seem like the original NES Zelda, where they're like, it's just you in an open world, hop to it. But this one, there seems to be more structure, seems to be more cohesive plot, there seems to be a little more of modern day Zelda. And I don't, I'm excited, but I don't know how good of a thing that is. Like, it was kind of refreshing how absolutely opposite. Breath of the Wild was 83, so I'm kind of curious to see how this pans out. I assume it's still very open-ended, because that's the whole premise of the Zelda, but we, we shall see. Hmm. Uh, they, they did throw us one little bone after Game Awards, though. Um, we know how the Amiibo will work. The 30th anniversary Zelda Amiibo will give you in-game items. We don't know how the Breath of the Wild exclusive Amiibo work, but we know that 8-Bit Link is going to give you barrels and when you scan him, and you can open those barrels and get hearts and rupees. We know that Ocarina of Time Link is going to make it rain meat from the sky, which I'm not kidding. That is really what happens. You scan him and meat just falls from the sky, like hunks of steak just fall down. Uh, and then Toon Link, there's a bunch of fish that appear and they start floundering around, and which I think indirectly confirms that fishing is going to be in Breath of the Wild. Hmm. Because where, why would fish be rendered? Why would there be fish if there's nowhere to catch the fish? Yeah. And then lastly... Um, Zelda? Yeah, Toon Zelda will give you a... Direct quote from Nintendo, random selection of plants, which is definitely the, like, really lame one of the bunch. But they, they posted these with gifts of all four, and, like, the raining meat is so good, as are the floundering fish. Um, yeah, I'm sure the plants are useful. Like, you probably have to, like, make your potions or something Oh, of course, like that, yeah. But, it's yeah. much like the meat will help you with health, health the plants yeah. will ha- help you with your magic bar, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so those, I, honestly, they're pretty mundane uses of Amiibo. I imagine the Breath of the Wild ones will be more interesting. But I am well, 100%. I mean, the Wolf Link one is definitely. Yeah, right. that's a better one. Yeah. It's kind of like oh. an assist character. But, but I will say, I will take these lame amiibo uses if it means raining meat from the sky. I mean, that's actually, just so getting great. them anyway, so. I already have them. Yeah. And that's the other thing I want to mention, which is partly why I brought it up. Oh, well, they're already on give... What? They're already in your house? Yes, they are. They arrived last week. I got to give Nintendo credit. These amiibo might be some of the best they made. The amount of detail they have figured out how to properly put in these figurines is um, is really incredible like if you look at the ocarina of time link from the 30th anniversary set and then compare him to the smash link with the weird face 
it is night and day. Like this, the Ocarina of Time one looks so good. The Smash one looks so not good. Even the Toon Link looks better than the uh, like him with the uh, with the baton looks better. The Wind Waker looks better than uh, the Toon Link from the Smash series. Like they, you could clearly see how they have learned how to mold plastic better and whatnot because it's 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 very impressive. I was very happy with them. Also, they gave Eight Bit Link a little sword on his back, which he did not have in the game because he always held the sword. So kind of a nice touch. Yeah, but they're really cool. And um, even you know, even if you don't care what they do in Breath of the Wild, if you're a Zelda fan, they're very, very nice Zelda collectibles. So I, I would recommend them. The the other bit of news from the Game Awards that pertains to us Nintendo folk is that Shovel Knight's getting a prequel. Uh, I want to mention it's got talking Game Awards now. I feel uh, like we've known that forever, right? Well, there there's multiple prequels. So this is the official prequel, apparently. So Yakov Games showed a trailer for what they're calling Spectre of Torment, which is going to be a prequel DLC pack for Shovel Knight, but will be built as a ground-up independent experience that just happens to leverage the levels and stuff of the original, but it's going to be new level designs, new uh, new music, new enemies, new assets, etc., etc., but set in the same thing. It's going to follow Spectre Knight as he recruits the original council, or the original, as he recruits the original games, uh, like Council of Baddies, the Order of No Quarter. So, it's free if you were a supporter of it on Kickstarter. The price sell it as separate DLC. I don't. This is on top of the one they're already doing about the king character and the one they already did about the like uh, witch or whatever. I don't understand why they're not just making a sequel at this point or a full prequel. Like I, I gotta commend them. Like they have been supporting Shovel Knight and its backers for three years now. Getting out of twenty fourteen, they're still giving them free content in twenty seventeen. That's the concept impressive. Concept is watching. Yeah, yeah. Concept. This is what you need to do with my number nine or ten or whatever. I don't think you're ever gonna make a my number ten. I'm gonna be honest. But, um, like, it, it's great. Like, it's very commendable. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like, is there business sense behind this? Is it like they promised this to backers from the start or something? Because it just seems, it seems like they are missing out on opportunity to make money. Normally, a game like this, like a year in, you would start making a sequel. And here we are three years later, and they're still pumping out the content. I assume, like I said, that DLC will cost money to people that didn't back it. But even then, they have opportunities for Shovel Knight to become a, a franchise, and they're just staying on this one game. It's a weird thing to complain about. But nonetheless, it's kind of unusual, right? Like, you don't see this with many games. They just keep pumping out content for years. At least in games like this. Maybe you like For wow. years, no. I was going to say the closest thing I could think of is Monster Hunter and how they would do it for about half a year. Like, every single month, they would give you new monsters, new missions, blah, 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 right. new DLC, all for free. I guess Splatoon would have to be the next thing I could think of, but not not even to this extent. Yeah, it's only a year, but this yeah. is like three years. Like I, they must no, have made a really commitment cool. to yeah. to their backers. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it's cool. Um, slow clap for Yacht Club Games, but yeah. Besides that, that's kind of all there was at the Game Awards for Nintendo folk. Like, so I went with your brother. Actually, I went with Elvis, as I'm uh, assume you realize I went with Elvis. <laughs> I know, and like. It was a cool experience, but so I guess I guess the game works. Oh, that's right. Themselves. Didn't you guys like um, meet a a Razor character? Yeah. So, so game awards were strange this year. Let's just start with that. So did you take a picture. Of it was game? I I did. So I'll I'll get to that. So first, for those who did, for those who have watched the game awards over a few years, maybe it's just me. I mean, did you watch? Did you watch any of it, or were you just watching trailers after the fact? I was watching trailers and highlights because it like felt, the Kojima speech and whatnot. Yeah. It. Felt, that was actually a pretty good speech, but it felt like 
this year is kind of light on news and was light on like cohesion for lack of a better term like it's not really the game awards fault it's not really jeff Keeley's fault it's what the developers hand to you and say we're going to show you this but it, it was missing a little i don't know it just felt a little like thrown not thrown together that's the wrong word because that implies that they were impassioned about it, but it it felt a little disjointed like when we went last year I don't know if it was there were more musical performances that were more game-themed or if there were more... Uh, or if, like, the Iwata tribute really made it feel like more of an award show or if there was something else. But this year definitely, like, is... Maybe the ads were better last year. I don't know, but this year definitely felt a little more scattered. And there was definitely more in-your-face advertising than a year ago. So, like, a year ago, I think it was Unity or one of those guys did this great thing where one of the ads we saw throughout the night were these developer like spotlights where oh, they yeah, went they, and they, they filmed did one on Sierra, Sierra and um, the people that did Command and Conquer yes and then in addition to that they had indie developers the guys that did indie game the movie went and did little mini documentaries about different developers and they showed those as commercials this year what you were talking about we got the uh, Schick Hydrobot who was playing a 2D version of Mortal Kombat with himself and an esport guy that I don't know the name of and it was the most cringy awkward thing like, I get the advertisers are there to do their advertising. I get that's what pays the bills. And I understand that Jokiwi's taking a loss on this thing and everything. But, like, that just was... Uh, it really unintentionally undermines the, like, the goal of, like, the Oscar video games. Oscars of video games when you have the Shik Hydrobot coming out and waving to the crowd. Also, when we left the show, we saw Shik Hydrobot outside surrounded by, uh, like, tween girls. So I guess... I guess his, uh... His groupies run young. I don't know. It was really bizarre. <laughs> like, there were, like, seven girls around him. It was... And they were, like, 12. It was weird. But... But, yeah, I mean, the, the show itself did fine. Like, the show, as far as Jeff is concerned, it was a success. 3.8 million people tuned in. That's a million more than last year. It's up... Or more than... Yeah, it's a million more in just in just China. It was the first time it aired there. It's wow. up 65% year over year. So, it itself did fine. But it just, to me, felt like last year was a slightly better show overall. That's not to say this year didn't have cool moments. So, like, me and Elvis went, like I said. And there's a lot of cool things you don't see in the stream that were happening. So, like, the set was really cool. They had all these set takeovers, right? When Reggie came out to talk about Zelda, everything on set turned Zelda. They had three different screens. They were all Zelda art and stuff. They did it for Mass Effect as well. Like, the whole stage transforms into being about that game, which is kind of neat. Or things like... Uh, kind of reminds me of... I'm sure you know which year um, the E3 press conference where they had like all the weird shapes and then when they were like Mario Kart 7 they were like racetracks 2012 like, was it Mario Kart 7? yes it was and it was 2012 well, they, they, I think they or maybe had, it was 2011 they also had Ocarina of Time 3D was one of the yeah, maybe it was 2011 it was, yeah it was 2011 it was the no 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 yeah no wait it I was think, the 3DS unveiling cause I so it must have been 2012 I remember they showed Mario Kart Ocarina of Time 3D and I forgot what else so maybe it was 2010 then it was the 3DS unveiling yeah we were still in college. Yeah, 2010. Had to be 2010. But either way, yeah, it was like that. It was like that. And then, like, there was really cool things. So they did this cool... And, and to be clear, the award show itself had some certainly had some highlights. Like, I didn't mean to diss it. I'm just saying it felt slightly destroyed. Like, I thought the Doom performance, they had the, the composer and musicians of the Doom soundtrack come and do, like, this crazy, almost heavy metal performance thing. And what you didn't really see on the stream, because they kept zooming in, is the entire set was, like, flashing all these different red and white colors. It looked really cool. Like, that was cool to see in person. Um, Run the Jewels was and uh, Ray Shremond or however you Shremond I sound so white right now trying to say Ray Shremond's correct name 
But, uh, yeah, those performances were kind of mixed reaction in the theater. I don't know how they came off on the stream. But there were some legitimately interesting things, like, um, or not interesting things, but neat things. So there's a speech by the guy who made That Dragon Cancer. And That Dragon Cancer is a game he started developing when his son was diagnosed with cancer, not knowing what the outcome would be. Turns out his son died from cancer. And he finished the game, and that's how the game ends, with whatever the embodiment of cancer is in the game also. You know, it ends on a sad note. So on the stream, what you saw was this very moving speech, this really nice speech where he was basically like, thank you for letting me take you on this journey that I had to live through. You know, it was hard for us, but et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to try and paraphrase it. You should watch the speech. It's really good. It really felt like, oh, this is a legit award show. Like, look at this guy. Like, this is great that he's being recognized for what he did. And then they immediately cut to Jeff Keighley right after his speech, and that's that. But what you don't see on the stream is the guy, after he gave that speech, got like a 30-second standing ovation for like everyone in the theater. Like little things like that, you know, you're like, wow, this, it really does, that is really nice. And the speech was really good, so he deserved that. Um, the other thing that was different this year at the Game Awards on a attending personally level was last year when you and I went, there was a massive after party. Like, I'm not just, I'm not trying to be like, I didn't get an invite. I mean, literally, there was a massive after party. Anyone saw, that went could go. Yeah, we saw some interesting people there. We Jason, met Kit. Jason we saw. met Kit from uh, Nintendo, of Nintendo Minute fame. Well, we didn't meet him. We saw him there. No, I got a photo with him. What are you talking about? Did you get a photo with him? I think he might have left before I did. But yeah, I I went up Uh, to him. Yeah, because when I was still there, I told you to go get a photo with him. And he was talking to us. And you were were like, I already have, or I forgot what you said. No, no, no. That's Bill Trent, and I previously did. But no, uh, yeah, Kid and I talked for a couple minutes. I got a photo. But yeah, so last year, the Game Awards, they took over a huge tent. They made it in an arcade. It had like 85 machines or something like that. And then they had Skrillex perform for free, and they had bars, and it was great. This year, nothing of the sort like they did have an after party for like the people that presented in the real hoity-toity like it was up at the top of a ritz carlton hotel but they didn't have a sort of massive one so on a personal level that was a bit of a bummer the closest we got to an after party were me and elvis walking around after the award show looking for an after the after party and bumping into reggie and peter moore va and ray shremond who if you don't know who they are and i think i'm still butchering their name the Mannequin Challenge. The song always used, Black Beetle, that is their song. Number one song on the planet right now. And, yeah, we had a weird encounter with them, like, in a parking lot. But uh, that was actually kind of funny. We basically said, sup, and that was it. But point is, like, the Game Awards itself is still really cool. But it just, this year compared to last, after party aside, which is, there's just a little little piece missing. I'm not sure what it was. So I'm excited for next year. Jeff Keighley is really good about collecting feedback and actually trying to improve things. So I think weird issues like the uh like the ads being as blatant and in your face as they were and being so weird like shit hydrobot hopefully those will get replaced with more like what we saw when we went two years ago which i thought was very well done and ideally ideally the musical acts will be slightly closer to gaming in a way because i feel like last year there were like four or five musical performances including ben folds doing the water tribute this year there were only three and only one was game related directly. Run the Jewels, they do have Gears of War DLC, so that's kind of how they tie in Ray Sherman. I have no idea what, what their relation is to gaming. But um, I'm not saying it should all be gaming, you need the mass appeal, but it's just they could have done a little. So So yeah, it was it was it was a thing. And there's less news overall at said thing, but it was still a fun thing, and I'm really glad that our industry has something like that. So so that's a plus. But but yeah, in terms of news out of it, not not the biggest that they've had. Hmm. Which brings us, I think, to our final bit before we announce our contest winner. Yeah, our final eight bits, which is the NES Classic Edition. 
Um, you had zero interest in this. Let's see if I could change your mind. Because okay. it's pretty cool. Like, I was lucky enough to get an AS Classic. So, by... it sold in Best Buy, every... Best Buy eBay every 18 seconds or something? It sold, yes, on launch day. It's almost as if you have a list of what I'm about to say. On launch what? day. Well, what I was going to say is on launch day alone, it sold every two seconds for an average price of $230. That's it's great. a $60 system. And in the time since, it's been selling out retailers over and over. So I was lucky enough to get one the the night it went live on Best Buy's website. I had it by the Monday after its launch. And it is pretty awesome. So if you do manage to snag one, you are in for a mostly enjoyable experience. It has a couple quirks, but it's mostly a really cool thing. So let's start with hardware. First of all, this thing is like adorably tiny. Like so adorably tiny. It's nearly a perfect replica of the NES, right down to the controller feeling like one out of the 80s. Like it has the stiff D-pad like the old NES controllers, not the softer ones like newer Nintendo hardware. It is pretty much 100% spot on, just shrunk. Controller's full size, system shrunk. The only way to access the home menu, however, which is the new thing that lets you pick your games, is you have to hit the reset button on the console, which is a bit problematic if you want to play on a couch far away from the console because you then need to get up and go hit the button, which leads to problem number two that I have with the system, that... which is the length of the cord and the lack of a button. I, yes? I, I know it defeats the purpose, but isn't that home button circumvented by... If you use the yes, Classic Controller that's Pro... that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You can use a Classic Controller, like a Wii Classic Controller, and plug it in, and it has a home button, and its home button works, but you're still stuck with the same issue of a short cord. So the HDMI cord I get is short, and I get you can get an extended one, but it is short naturally because you keep a console near the TV. That makes sense. But then the controller cord is also short. It's, I looked it up, it's 31 inches long. The original NES controller cord was 90 inches long. It is a third of the length, and you notice that. Like, I didn't think it would be a big deal before I got the system, but it totally is. I have, so my, you've been to my house. My gaming setup is in a kind of long, narrow room. So I have the TV in one corner, sort of cutting off a corner, like the hypotenuse of a triangle, and then I have a couch sort of across from it. TV and couch are maybe, I don't know, like three and a half, four feet apart. So you would have the to NES be, doesn't reach. <laughs> you, you would have to be lying down on your stomach with, your, arm, with, 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 with your arms hanging from yes, it. Yes, and it like would barely kinda... reach. And that's with me pulling the HDMI cord all the way through my t- my uh, my uh, TV stand. So I guess you're just going to have to play like a little kid. Well, that's would. what I've been doing. That's like, what I've been doing is I've been sitting on the legs floor. Legs crossed right in front of the TV. Exactly. That's exactly what I've been doing. I've been sitting on the floor. Like little Timmy would, I guess. Neck craned up, facing the TV, like little Timmy would do. And it, it works. It, it really is actually, in a way more nostalgic but also it's kind of annoying and like someone on reddit actually raised the point of why this is like this and it kind of makes sense in that um the communication protocol they use for those short cords it's basically using what the wiimote nunchuck used the nunchuck cord is the cord for this it's the same port and that port and that cord is made for short distance distances because you're always plugged into a wiimote normally so if they were to extend that protocol and make it fit you know triple the length 31 inches becoming 90 you would need to either make the cord some sort of like double down on the cord in some way, like literally thicken it, or you would need to redo the protocol, both of which cost money. And if you're selling a $60 system, you don't want to spend that money because you're trying to make this cheap to make to make the most profit. Thus, you make the short cord and you tell people, suck it up. Now, the, the, the downside of the short cord, or the downside if of all of this, regardless of the cord, is the controller is such a perfect replica of the NES controller, they didn't even bother with a home button. 
So you still, let's say they did make the long enough chord, you still have the issue of how do you go and change I mean, game. what's more nostalgic than that? I, I guess that's kind of what you could argue they're mimicking. But even if you want to just save your safe state... I mean, at least you don't have to replace a game. That's true. I but mean, even you're if technically you want, still saving time. But if you want to save your suspend point, because, you know, the games have four suspend points. If you want to save that, you have to get up, go over, go back. It's not the end of the world. It's just in this modern age. Back in our day, we didn't have suspend points. I know. I know. And I should I should be fair to Nintendo. Like, they are keeping it very authentic by doing it this way. So there's that in their favor. And as, and it does, as you point out, accurately replicate I mean, I guess if anything, it makes you experience all these first world problems. That... Yep. It's very first world. But it is something that, like, you have to be aware. If you're used to gaming currently, where you're at your couch and it's, like, seven, eight feet away, you're not at your couch playing this thing. You're so, on wow, the floor the playing this sucks. thing. <laughs> yeah. So once you get over that inconvenience of the short cord and the neck soreness and craning up at the TV, staring up at the TV. <laughs> if you haven't already started playing your more modern consoles. Yeah, if, you, if you're still like, I'm in, I'm in for this, then everything else about the NES Classic is really top-notch. Like, I love everything else about it. Like, so as we mentioned earlier, the NERD team at Nintendo in France, nerd, they were in charge of um, emulation and menus and everything, and they did a really great job. Like, the suspend system works seamlessly. The menus are all super easy to understand. The styling of everything is perfectly like right out of the era. It feels it feels super eight bit and great. And they have good sorting options. These are like really minor things you don't think about, but the fact that you can sort by when you you know the games you played versus alphabetically versus chronologically versus by two player versus one player, all that is very handy. It's all the menu, the whole menu, everything's just like we'll present to you and then we'll get out of your way. It's to be as quick as you can to instantly hop into a game. Literally, when you start for the first time, all you do is pick your language and it just dumps you in. There's no tutorials, there's no anything. It's just like, here you go. And that's how the entire experience feels. And then there's the games themselves, which also are presented in a very like fitting way for the era, an authentic way. Nintendo includes three different display modes. Um, there's the standard 4x3 that looks like your 80s TV. There's a CRT filter, and there's Pixel Perfect. So 4x3 is exactly what you expect. It's literally your 80s TV. CRT is where they took your 80s TV and are like, let's mimic how those old t- tube-style televisions used to work, which means there's kind of, like, some smudges around it. There's, like, a bit of a warp to the image. It's slightly, like, it almost looks curved. There's, like, scan lines. There's some weirdness. Yeah, that's the thing. I tried it, and I was like, this is kind of neat for a minute, but I always turned it back off. There's no way yeah, It's funny, because I've been normally. watching comparisons with, like, actual CRT TVs, and it never looks that bad. No, they, they, they exaggerated it a bit. It's there to be like, remember the whole, remember the horrible 80s, you guys? You think those <laughs> controller cord problems are bad? Look what you used to play on, except no one played on that, because it was better than that. Yeah. They, what they were showing was a 60s TV, I feel like. Like, it was, it's pretty bad. But it is neat that it's there, I guess, for authenticity purposes. We're like, look, this is what it was like in 84. But the the real mode that I enjoy the most is Pixel Perfect. It's kind of the most, there's a backstory to Pixel Perfect. So when developers, on 4x3 TVs, let's start there, um, you actually, as you could tell by the, it being 4x3, it is not a square. It is a rectangle. However, every NES game, the pixels are square. They are made on a grid, a square grid. So, technically, every game you ever played on the NES is actually slightly stretched vertically. Ever so slightly. So what, uh, or horizontally, I mean. Horizontally. Horizontally, yeah. So what Pixel Perfect mode does is it squishes it back horizontally. So it's a little narrower than what you're used to, but it's actually the exact intended, you're, you're intended. view of each game. So I've been leaving on uh, Pixel Perfect for that reason. Just like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. 
It never was, but it was supposed to be. And it, it's nice. And the thing about the emulation is it's all really good, and the color's really bright and really crisp. It's the best emulation it's pro- until it's probably done. Like, the Wii U was weirdly really, really dark emulation, and this is, like, the right emulation. And they kept all the glitches. It's exactly like the 80s. So, you know, Mario 3, you're running, and there's that little white line on the left for no clear reason. That's, like, maybe two that. pixels big. Uh, Metroid, the slowdown's still there. Ugh. Now, the logic here you can make is or you could argue you could argue that if they have the ability to fix bugs and slow down why don't they fix bugs and slow down but i think part of the thing about the nes classic right down to the lack of a home button is they're going to replicate the 80s they went in with a mission of we are replicating what you did in the 80s through and through you point out yourself how is going to press the reset button any different than in the 80s i take the cartridge out if they're going to do one, they might as well do it all. If they're going to fix one, they might as well fix it all. If they're going to fix it, figure out a place to put a home button. Stick it above star and select. I don't care. But if you're going to go full on, this is what you remember, leave the glitches, leave the slowness. That's what it was. That Literally, whether it was good or bad, that's what it was. So if they're trying to mimic it, mimic it. If they don't want to mimic it, fix everything. But don't do like one but not the other. That's my, that's my take on it. So they made the executive decision of we're going to leave it exactly how it was. And that means glitches. And slow down. At least that's my take on it. Like, it, it'd be like, I don't know, like, I guess you could draw the line that you could fix one and not the other, but that's kind of like... I mean, I could see I could see leaving glitches, but I mean, that line at the end... But that was part of the glitching. <laughs> that was a glitch. Or I don't even know if it was a glitch. I don't know why it's there. I have no idea. But that know. was a thing in Mario I'm... 3. It's a known thing. It's been known for decades. So to take it out would be like, that's not how it was. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not disagreeing about that. It is dumb that it's there in the first place, but it is there, so you might as well leave it there. They took it out with the other, you know, updated versions of the game. But yeah. the original, it's still there. Well, that does bring us to the games themselves, though. Uh, so we talked about how <laughs> you get to the games, what the games look like, and now the games. So there are 30 of them, as everyone knows. Um, you got the usual suspects. They've played a million times. You got the more obscure tiles. Did you probably bought them already? Yeah, you got the obscure tiles that you don't have as much. What I find funny is that when I first got the NES Classic and booted up, I instinctively went to New Super Mario Brothers. I told myself as I was opening New it, New Super Mario Brothers, or I mean Super Mario Brothers. Thank you. As I, uh, I wow, Nintendo's brainwashed me. No, it's funny because like as I was opening the box, I told myself like, nah, I'm gonna try something different. I'm gonna do a game I haven't played before. I never played Kirby's Adventure. Maybe I'll start there. Boot up the what? system. I've never actually played Kirby's Adventure. Not even on in Dreamland. What? Not even Nightmare in Dreamland? No, the original Kirby's event. Actually, no, neither. I never had well, Nightmare because Nightmare Dreamland yeah, I know, it's a remake. It's a remake. Yeah. No, I have not. Huh. So I was like, I'm going to play Kirby's Adventure. And then I blew up the system. I'm like, ah, oh, but how's Mario look on this? And I just started playing Super Mario Brothers. I got like these three worlds. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I still here? But uh, I guess it's a good barometer of how the system feels. Because I have Mario on the Wii, I think. I have it on. Three, I have yeah. NES Classic Edition for. Um, or not Classic Edition. NES Classics for Game Boy Advance of Mario. I have, I have it everywhere. Make sure you have it on the 3DS. Oh, uh, yes, I do. Because of the Master Program. Yeah. yeah. But, so... And on the Wii U for 30 cents? I did not get it on the Wii U for 30 cents. Or maybe I did. But anyway, in the time since, the, the point was, in the time since, I've actually been making a point of going and trying other games. Like, I'm not going to run through every single one I've played, and there's still a bunch I still need to play, because there are 30. Like, I still want to try Double Dragon 2. I still want to try Castlevania. But I did get to do Kirby's Adventure, which is what you would expect it to be but the one i really wanted to highlight i'm only gonna highlight one but the one i actually want to talk about was the oddball of the bunch which is star tropics 
This was a game that Nintendo's like, we're going to have our Japanese developers make a Zelda-style game for America and Europe and not release it in Japan. And this is what they came up with. It is a weird little game, and it's actually kind of cool. So first, there's a ridiculous premise. Because why not? So here's the absurdly great premise. You are a guy named Mike. Mike is a really good baseball pitcher. Mike is going to visit, I believe, his uncle in the tropics. Mike goes to the tropics, but guess who's been abducted by aliens? His uncle. So naturally, what do you do in the tropics when your uncle is abducted by aliens? You're handed a yo-yo, which becomes your weapon, and then you go into Zelda-style dungeons and smack snails and aliens and yetis and other weird fuzzy things with, uh, I don't know if yetis are there actually, but weird fuzzy things with a yo-yo. And that's the whole game. So it's literally a Zelda game with a yo-yo. So, well, not literally. It's a little different. Why, but I never knew anything about the game, so when I heard Star Tropics, I pictured either a space shooter or some sort of RPG. Well, you see, it is kind of an RPG. So there's, it's all top-down. There's two top-down views. When you're out in the world, when you go between the dungeons and you go talk to people in towns, it looks like Final Fantasies, like the early Final Fantasies. When you're in the dungeons, it switches to Zelda 1 style, where it's a zoomed-in top-down. The sprites are more detailed, and you go room-to-room, and you kind of shift around like a grid of rooms. Um, It's called Star Tropics, because you are right. There are aliens, so there is space, and it's set in the tropics, so the tropics, so Star Tropics. But they're very creative. The interesting wrinkle in it that separates it from just Zelda, though, is as far as I can tell, I'm not, you know, I'm not done with the game by any means. As far as I can tell... You, unlike Zelda, need to talk to every single NPC in every single town you come across in a certain... Sometimes in a certain order, it seems like, to be able to progress. So, you do the dungeons and stuff, but then to get to the next dungeon, it's divided into chapters. So, to get to the next chapter, you need to make sure you talk to everyone and do everything, and then go do the dungeon, and then you get to proceed. So, it's Zelda, but chatty. It's Zelda, but with a yo-yo. It's Zelda, but bizarro, and, like, weird story. It's Zelda butt, but not. So it's it, it's cool. I like it. It's really fun. It's different enough from Zelda that stands on its own, but it's similar enough to Zelda. I could be like, if you like the original NES Zelda, but you want a yo-yo, check out Star Tropics. Like it, it's fun. I, it's I wanted to pick it among the first games I played simply because I've heard oh it's this weird little Nintendo game. It's this quirky weird little thing. So I decided to check it out, and it is quirky story wise, but gameplay wise, if you like the original Zelda, you're it's a shoe in. So. I'm trying to see how many times I can say Zelda, by the way. I made a bet with myself. I think I'm up to about seven. Uh, there are other games of note, too, that I'm not really going to go into, but like Ninja Gaiden, for example. Never played on the NES. Surprisingly cinematic for a game that's in 8-bit on an NES. Like, I, I was pretty impressed by that. And, you know, there's also, of course, the old standbys, like all the Marios and the Zeldas and Metroid and Kid Icarus. Uh, and an all-time favorite of mine for reasons I never could figure out, Ice Climber. That's also there. Um... So, plus, I mean, you've also got, now I'm just kind of rallying off games, but you've also got some of the best third-party offerings that were on the NES, and some just iconic franchises. So you have, like, Mega Man 2, and then you have Pac-Man, you have Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, and you have Final Fantasy. It's robust, it's well thought out. I mean, the fact that that's all you're ever going to get is kind of a bummer. It would have been really cool, but obviously it would have cost more if they made some sort of, like, 8-bit eShop they could access to get more games in the future. But what you're looking at is a $60 system that gives you 30 games. It's 2 bucks a game. And it is really well done. So, like, to kind of wrap this up, you are getting games that are emulated exactly as you remember them. The entire package is cohesive. Some games, sure, are more interesting than others, but if it wasn't for that short controller cord, 
This would literally be, in my opinion, the perfect retro like NES package you could get. As as is, it's just shy of perfect. But if they just fix that cord, they just fix that cord or added a home button to that. Actually, both fix the cord and add a home button to the controller. Ribo start and select would have been great. So basically, here here's my real takeaway. If you have any interest in 80s Nintendo, be it for nostalgia or for like a history lesson, I recommend getting this. It's really, really cool. You don't necessarily have to play it much because it makes a great collector's item too, but it's also a good history lesson, but also has a really good game. So like no matter what your reason, at the price it's at, you can find a reason to make this thing worth your while. If you have any remote interest in it, you won't be disappointed. And it just so happens that it's coming out right at the time that Nintendo wants to bring lapsed gamers back into the fold just in time for them to start caring about Mario Run and the Switch. So, very clever, Nintendo. I'm on to you. But seriously, regardless of that, if you like 80s Nintendo and you're not tired of having 17 copies of Kid Icarus lying around, get copy number 18 with this, because it is a really cool little package. Like, Nintendo's never really done something like this. and they, they did. I think they nailed it, minus the cord and yeah. the button. <laughs> That's good to so, hear. Yeah. So, it, they did a good job. So, props to Nintendo for that. And if you can find one, that's a trick. If you can find one, get one. While we're talking about memories and nostalgia, we did ask all of you to share um, some memories with us for our fifth anniversary, namely memories of the 3DS or Wii U, and we were going to give one of you a chance to win a $50 eShop gift card in return for that memory. So here we are, two weeks later, and we did get some good memories. We got some, some good ones. Uh, so you and I went through all of them, read through all of them, and a lot of people brought up Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is weird because it just came out. So I, I guess it is still a memory because it did happen before you typed it. So can, you sort of worked your way around the question, but you still <laughs> it still counts. So good job, I guess. But um, I will say there were actually, even with the Sun and Moon memories, there were some good ones. Like there was, um, so a guy named Core K who left a comment, thank you for entering Core, uh, was saying that he received Moon during a tough time from a friend that kind of helped bring him out of his funk so that that's nice to hear and then we also got a cool uh cool story from uh ben l who he had this he his his threw me in a loop at first because he was like talking about the 80s in nintendo he's like oh yeah i got into nintendo 1998 i got the duck hunt mario track and field bundle the three-on-one cartridge which was like absurd at the time and i, I hooked me on nintendo i've been a fan since and then i was like well, okay where's wii u and 3ds fit in and then i realized oh the next paragraph He's mentioning, and then he got his daughter into Nintendo in the same way, but with the Wii U. And now the Wii U lives in her room, and he is the only in his room, but ultimately, or something like that, but ultimately he wants to take the Wii U. So I thought that was a cool story. That's a nice story. Um, we also got some nice stories from longtime listeners that I feel like we should shout out. Like Johnny P, uh, he had the simple story, but this is true. This is happening to me with some games. You're playing a game, and there's just one moment where you see the graphics, and you're like, whoa, this is like crazy for what this is. So with him, it was Xenoblade Chronicles on the new 3DS, he was playing, or and he just was like, "This waterfall on a 3DS is nuts!" Like, <laughs> so that was his memory, like his 3DS memory. And I hope there have been times I have done that with um, with games, like Mario Galaxy. I think there was one point where I was just like, "Wow, this is really pretty," and I just like stopped moving for a minute, just like watching the stars. And yeah, stuff, but... definitely had a few moments like that in um, Super Mario 3D Land on the 3DS. Yeah, 
Just like yeah. Um, so when when 3ds first came out and all the 3D effects were still like a thing people cared about, like it was oh, cool no, to stop and watch. Yeah, looking the ultras in Street Fighter Four when that was yeah. Cause that was the launch. Oh was yeah, like, I remember you constantly being like, "Look at this one! Look at this one!" Because like, "Well, it's just like on the PS3." I mean, it's not. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of is. And then we also got a nice comment from Aaron, who is another longtime listener. He was talking about when he got his uh, special Animal Crossing 3ds XL, the cool like Louis Vuitton looking fruit print, yeah. uh, in tandem with the game. And yeah, that was I think that was the first. Honestly, that was like the first custom 3ds color scheme that was like uh, i kind of regret already having one like that that thing was cool looking um but last so th- those are just a few of the many entries we got but last we can only pick one winner so uh after much deliberation between you and me we settled on drum roll no there we go we settled on mel aka kirby geek 4 so mel told us this really nice story about how he and a friend used to play New Leaf a ton. In fact, Mel primarily played New Leaf for the friend. He would help them gather items, he'd help them get fruit, clothing, furniture, fossils, whatever it may be, and then send them into the game. Like, through trade. Like, he would trade whatever just to give the friend what they wanted. And he even went one step further and started doing villager trading, which I didn't know was a thing, but then I looked it up after he mentioned it in the comment and sure enough there's like a as he put it in his comment there's a black market for villagers like you go on certain sites and like or sub forums or you know communities like neogaf or whatever and you say i want this villager and then you basically meet up with someone have them visit your town and then you or like do it online then you do like a villager swap and he was saying in his story that there's one time that he arranged to do a villager swap and had to run two miles from his house to meet this person wherever they happened to be that was two miles away in order to do the swap in time and and it was for uh how do you word it is for deborah the deer oh yeah it's for that snooty deer deborah <laughs> so that right there is when we're like oh this guy wins it snooty deer you can't top that but no it's just like you hear stories of people doing playing games because they enjoyed it or whatever you don't hear very often about the human trafficking element of animal crossing or when people are playing a game specifically to help out someone else entirely i don't know obviously the relationship between him and this other person but clearly as a close friend so it's cool that he did that and it's just a cool story like it's a unique story so we're gonna give mel the 50 dollars gift card so congratulations mel and you also win our just created random nintendo good samaritan award that's not a physical tangible thing it's just me saying those words if you'd like we could crop that into a small little ringtone sized thing and your ringtone could just be me going Random Nintendo Good Samaritan Award. But you don't get any sort of recognition beyond that. Might as well call you on it. Well, hey, I'm emailing him. He can say he can say it. So, um, yeah, so thank you everyone who entered. Thanks for all of you who left kind words about the show in our five years. And congrats, Mel, on the win. And keep an eye on your inbox for your eShop code in the coming days. So that pretty much does it for the contest. We, of course, as anyone that listens regularly knows, do contests from time to time, not just for our anniversary. So you probably want to keep an eye on us. I mean, if you're listening to us, hopefully you will know anyway, because we'll say it here. But just in case, you may want to follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. You may want to make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes or Google Play Music or whatever podcasting app you use. Because you never know when we might just out of nowhere be like, hey, here's an eShop game. Or, hey, here's uh, $35 for the eShop or something like that. So, so keep an eye out. And you also probably don't want to miss our next episode, which arrives on Christmas Day. It is our gift to all of you, opposed to Mel being the one that only receives the other gift. Uh, so the, the next episode is going to be, uh, hopefully a good one. We're going to have, I mean, we don't have a $50 gift card again, but we are going to have full Super Mario Run impressions. I believe a game you backed on Kickstarter, Shantae and the Half Genie Hero, Shantae Half Genie Hero is out 
before that. Well, I should. They already started emailing out codes the Wii U ones are the last ones out, but they said like a few days ago through email that we should have the code any day now. So in theory, we may, in addition to Mario Run, have impressions of that, if depending on how far you get, because I know the holidays are a busy time. But if not then, you can look for, forward <laughs> to that in January. So Busy. But, oh yeah, you have like a winter break. You're not busy. Actually, that's probably your freest time. So it, I, it sounds time. like you. It sounds like I'm putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're basically committing to having those impressions next episode. So I am going to be breeding Pokemon. That sounds hot. I guess you're into <laughs> watching that, but uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, on that note, I think that pretty much does it. So we'll see you guys on Christmas Day for our next episode. Um, congrats again to Mel. Thanks again to everyone who entered. And uh, I think with that, that pretty much is it. Um, yeah. Happy holidays. Question mark.